Hello everybody and welcome back to Season 8 of Sequelizers. I am your host, as always, Jack Chambers, and joining me, also as always, it's Matt Stockton. Got it all wrong, Jack. I absolutely believe in bad sequels, and I absolutely hate the fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> well done, sir. Well done. Mm. I wonder if any listeners would pick up on that from that quote, because again, uh, we sometimes very... do very obvious ones. In episode one, it was like, sequelizers roll out. You're like, oh, I wonder what that could be. <laughs> this one, a little bit sneaky, if uh, you haven't already seen the title of the episode. The first thing I said was, my name is Optimus Prime. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, you must be talking about Star Wars. Yeah. Famous with all those is Optimus it, is Primes. It, is it the prequel to Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid? <laughs> <laughs> we did actually talk about doing that back in the day, funny enough. A film most people don't know exists. Yeah. But... We are talking about a film that most people know exists, but before we get to all of that, also joining us, it's Tim Matum. Transcendence. I guess that was Matt speak for get the fuck off my ship and make it forever. <laughs> Fine by me. <laughs> Is Tim's theme all about me? Because I'd love that shit. <laughs> I hope it is. I hope it is. I love that. <laughs> so this week it is actually a Patreon pick. And we'll, we'll talk about the patrons in a sec. Mm. But this week's episode is the third in a trilogy. <laughs> Matt's already shaking his head. We'll get to it, Matthew. We'll get to it. Yeah. This week's episode, we're talking about 2013's Riddick. And I'm sure lots of listeners are reacting how Matthew was reacting. of like, wait, what? You're fixing the third <laughs> one in that franchise? <laughs> I know, listeners. We didn't have much of a choice because one of our executive producers was like, Oi, I'm going to give you loads of money. Do this film. And we're like, yeah, fair enough. Okay. We are and, at the uh, whims of our paymasters. Exactly. Exactly. Capitalism. It's a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Capitalism's a bitch and makes you talk about Riddick more than you've ever thought you would in your entire life. <laughs> but before we get to fixing Riddick, talking about the Chronicles of Riddick, talking about Pitch Black... And the adventures of one Richard B. Riddick as a whole, because yes, that is his full name, listeners, in case you didn't realise. His first name is Richard. Just like Snake Pliskin's name is Bob. Let's <laughs> <laughs> give Riddick. really cool single name characters just boring, basic ass names, because yeah, cool. Do you do you do you know why that's his uh his full name? I dread to think. Cause his dick be Riddick. <laughs> Oh my fuck! <laughs> that is so that it's like it's like who's the basis of corn? Fieldy. What's Fieldy? Oh, Fieldy's nuts. And it's like <laughs> Jesus Christ! Dick I'm so angry dick. now. That might be the funniest thing you've ever said on the show. <laughs> that really got me. Oh dear! We're, I'm, I'm crying, laughing like six minutes into the episode. This derailed it so quickly, <laughs> fucking hell! <laughs> but like I said, before we get to talking about Dick B. Riddick, <laughs> let's give thanks to our patrons, including the executive producer who has picked this very film for us to sequelize. You can go to Patreon.com/sequelizers. You can support us at a variety of different tiers and get a variety of different rewards. You can get exclusive merch. You can get discounts on merch. You can get exclusive extra bonus episodes during the interseasons and exclusive outtakes during the main seasons as well. Early access, 
ad-free episodes, all that good stuff for all of our patrons. And if you go to the very highest of tiers, the upper echelons, if you will, you can become an executive producer and get a shout-out on the show. Just like these fine gentlemen have already. Josh van der Sluis. You made three mistakes. First, you took the job. Josh Miles. Second, you came light. A four-man crew for me is fucking insulting. Andy Steen. But the worst mistake you made. <sighs> Empty gun rack. Mike Salvia. Do you know you grind your teeth at night? Sexy. Xenos. Richard B. Riddick. Escape convict. Murder. See, he doesn't have a silly first. He's not called like Richard Zenos or something. That would be. Uh, <laughs> that, we didn't realize it until the second film. <laughs> What's your name? Bob. Bob Zenos. Oh, fuck off. And last but certainly not least, the man who has picked this very film for us to sequelize, Mr. Jonathan Firth Clark. This is your one chance. Take the Lord Marshal's offer and bow. I bow to no man. What are you playing at, Johnny? Seriously, Jonathan, how dare you? How very dare you? I'm, sh- mm. I'm sure our Twitter and Discord will explode from him <laughs> battling everyone else versus us or whatever kind of combination of combat will <laughs> arise from us fixing this film. But yeah, we're here to fix Riddick. And if you'd like to join those people and maybe even pick a film of your own, in the future, patreon.com slash sequelizers is the place to go. So, Riddick, huh? The third in the franchise, following up, as I previously mentioned, 2000's Pitch Black, a bit of a kind of cult sci-fi classic, followed up by 2004's The Chronicles of Riddick, and then, as I said, the film we're actually fixing is 2013's Riddick. And as we like to start off with our history with the franchise, you know, I hadn't really clocked that this is now like over 20 years old, this franchise, which feels such a weird thing to say. God, that is weird. And there's still like weird campaigns for like, when we're getting a Riddick 4, because Vin Diesel's cool again. It's in the pipeline, apparently. Yeah, I mean, it's been in production for like, quote unquote production for like six years at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Matt, I'll come to you first. What is your history with one Richard B. Riddick and his adventures thereupon? It's it's <laughs> well charted, actually. So basically, oh. I've I've mentioned Pitch Black a few times on some bonus content and other bits and pieces. I saw Pitch Black in the cinema. It was not showing very long in this country. It was like a week and it was gone kind of thing. I really enjoy it. I thought I was like, oh, this was a great film and everyone fell asleep on it. It was the second DVD that I ever bought point of significance for me <laughs> the year 2000 that makes sense yeah. Yep. yeah i was like this is this is fucking great i was 16 years old chronicles of riddick i was in america when it came out and this was a novelty at the time because previously not very much now because more like a simulcast simul release kind of thing but it was a time when americans would get things like six months before britain would like oh, oh wow shit. yeah back in the i'm day. going to america i'm gonna see tons now of we movies. get it like a week before yeah it's weird yeah spoilers or something i don't know who, who fucking knows so i saw it at the regal lloyd center in portland oregon and i remember thinking i love pitch black i was talking a big fucking game to some american friends and stuff and this film starts up and i'm like 
oh, this is nothing like what the other one was <laughs> at all. And there's one dude in the theater. And obviously, this is my early days of experiencing an American cinema. And like 19, 20 Did years you, old at that point. Was, was it the clapping and the cheering? Man? Oh, you know he was saying? fucking having the best time in the world. I've never enjoyed a film like he's enjoyed this movie. Um, and so there's Turns that- out. That was Jonathan first. <laughs> Entirely possible. Did, no, he did was, you he know was... Jonathan at that point? Had you already met? No, him? no, not at all, not at all. Okay, I barely okay. knew. But again, this is like literally almost two decades ago. Yeah. So I was watching the movie. Obviously, you know it's American cinema, so there's lots of really vocal reactions to things, and I'm mostly. T- it's one of the first times I've seen this American. This is quite strange. Everyone's really enjoying themselves and being very loud. Yeah. As as a man who has sat next to you in a few film screenings mm. and, and viewings. You are decidedly British with your reactions to films. You are deathly silent and you have your phone on like the lowest brightness mm. tucked into the like your the, nestled the, in my chest. Little crease the, the the crease where like your leg meets your you, like your pelvis, basically tucked into your pelvis and just like under my dick away. is what you're trying to describe by the yeah, sounds yeah. of it. T- tucked under your dick. Just just type away, making little notes of like, that was good. Five minutes in. That was shit. <laughs> I love the idea that you cut my phone. It just that was good. That was shit over and over and over. Like, this will be good it's notes. Just, it's just timestamps of like that was good. Yeah, good line there. Forty three minutes twenty three seconds. <laughs> Brilliant. So this one guy was literally, and I swear to Christ, he was just like watch him start the movie, um, and then <laughs> whoa, oh gosh, oh whoa, the title sequence alone. And I'm like, <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck? It's like he was watching just the Mjolnir scene in Endgame only on repeat for the first time. I was like, I don't understand this. Anyway, so he enjoyed it a lot and I did not. I had a lot of problems with it. And then in 2013, Riddick came out and I saw it in the Odeon in Norwich. And I was very, very, very angry. <laughs> uh, and I remember really hating it. So in terms of my own personal experience, I think Pitch Black, and I still stand by this, I think Pitch Black is a fantastic movie. It's a really good little underground um, it feels like '90s more than early 2000s because of you know when it's been shot and stuff. Um, Australian kind of film. Yeah, it, it's shot like a lot of it is shot in the same places where they shot Mad Max and stuff. Yeah, like that. yeah, precisely like mm. in the middle of nowhere in the outback and stuff like that. Yeah, and it feels like it in a really positive way. It feels like a sort of a desolate, lonely experience of survivalism. And that's great. The 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 Chronicles of Riddick is just like okay, now we're going to give you so much lore and so much building. And we're going to do the classic faux part of focusing on a side character. And then Riddick was like, we don't have the money because that last one didn't work out very well. We've been production hell for 10 years. So we're going to make this really small grounded film. Actually, that can work really fucking well. And I think it is the worst offender of these movies. I won't get to too much. We'll get more to that later when we actually discuss synopsis and things like that. But um, yeah, so I, I love Pitch Black. think it's really interesting. Um, in the run up to Chronicles of Riddick played uh butcher bay escape from butcher bay i should say and what i owned the dark fury uh short animated movie because it was the time the matrix was doing the same thing and it was a, a very popular thing to do and i i really thought i've enjoyed that one i thought it wasn't too bad at all chronicle riddick was disappointing and riddick just made me furious like why are you back what the fuck are you doing here <laughs> tim what about you what are, what are your experiences with this franchise are you like a diehard riddickite <laughs> ridiculous ridiculous diehard necromonger yeah yeah i i mean i can't remember the experience as is the case with a lot of like watching dvds and stuff sure i saw pitch black probably within a year of it coming out on dvd it wasn't something i you know it it would have been around a period where i was buying like empire and stuff like that so Mm. i'm sure 
that I heard about it and heard of it, it as and like, oh no, put this it into is perspective. You would have been what fifteen or so around about that. Yeah, sort of about time. that. Yeah. yeah, makes sense. And and it's one of those films that definitely benefited from the DVD age, definitely. You know, and it became this slightly cult classic because yeah, you know yeah, it was yeah. it, it, like you say had a tiny release but grew this cult following to the point where when a sequel came out they were like yeah we're going to put out an animated film that bridges the gap between the two because we know there's this audience for it but yeah watched it on dvd enjoyed it thought it was great didn't bother going to see uh chronicles of riddick in the cinema also caught that on dvd probably a lot later having heard the bad reputation of it <laughs> and riddick i had not seen until about four weeks ago wow <laughs> nice uh because because having seen chronicles of riddick i had no interest in returning <laughs> to that character he went back to it because you had to for this show exactly ah the life of a sequelizer yeah. i know i know it well my friend I hadn't seen Jack. this piece of shit. Yeah. I purposefully had been avoiding this piece of shit my entire life. <laughs> hey, Jack, we're paying you money. Oh, fine, I'll watch the thing, and then I'll fix the thing. <laughs> so, Jack, yes, how about your experiences with Mr. Riddick? I think I saw Pitch Black on TV with my parents. Wow. Um, Again, kind of, my parents are the people that introduced me to most of the cinema when I was a kid, mm. and I would have been like 10 when the film came out so i definitely wouldn't have seen it in the cinema or on dvd when yeah. i was 10 bit too scary for a 10 year old jack but when it came i think we watched it on tv together and my dad was like oh i've heard this is like alien basically i think was the pitch he mm. and we'd i was probably like this is probably like 2000 i think chronicles is probably already out at this point because i'm probably like 15 16 years old at this point mm. which is a couple of years after chronicles would have come mm. out i mean given the four-year gap it's kind of the time gap necessary at that period in in uh broadcasting history oh, where you could have it yeah. show up on tv when the when chronicles was going into yeah. the cinema kind you of thing. get that you get the advert for in cinemas now yeah. and now the uk broadcast premiere of pitch black yeah. it's like yeah okay yeah you've done that on purpose like um, yeah, it was something similar to that, and I remember my dad. I think Pitch Black is one of my dad's favorite movies. He fucking wow. loves Pitch Black. <laughs> He's a big like old school sci-fi, low budget psychological sci-fi kind of dude, and I think he hates all the other ones because <laughs> they go a bit silly and mental. And yeah. as we talk about a lot on this show, and we'll get into this, the tonal shift <laughs> is batshit mental, and. Yeah, I think I I I definitely saw Riddick in the cinemas. I I think I was in Nottingham at the time. Would I have been Nottingham? Or no, I'd have been in Exeter at the time. So in sort of twenty twelve, twenty thirteen, I saw uh things like Dread, one of my favourite movies ever. Dark Knight Rises. I fixed that piece <laughs> of shit three seasons ago. <laughs> Uh, and and Riddick and basically it was like I would go to the cinema at any opportunity because I lived like four minute walk from a cinema in Exeter. Mm-hmm. And I would just be like, yeah, sod it. Let's go see something. And me and my girlfriend at the time, or me and my friend at the time, would just wander down and go and see whatever was on, basically. And I was like, oh, they've done a new Riddick movie. Sure. Why not? Yeah. And it's, it's you it's living a Matthew good. life. <laughs> just <laughs> cinema I mean, not here. As I'll in, go every day. <laughs> n- not, well, yeah, not quite as intense as you. Mine was sure, far sure. more like 
ah, there's, you know, there's nothing else to do. Should we go see a film? I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? Not a. Uh, I, I will consciously make an effort to see three to sure, five sure. films a week every week for my entire life. Slightly that's, different, that's Matthew. That's fair. <laughs> but Everybody yeah, yeah. I'd seen them. I'd definitely seen Pitch Black on TV. I think I probably saw Chronicles on DVD thinking like, oh, wow, there's a Pitch Black sequel. That's weird. That film doesn't feel like it needs a sequel at all. Feels like a very kind of standalone-ish. Yeah, just leave it at that. Which they should have done. And yeah, then came to him later. And yeah, Pitch Black has a weird... Uh, revisiting... I So I watched these... I'll say over like three... I've won a night over the last sort of week or so. Damn. And... I don't like any of them as much as I thought I did. Mm. So, yeah. I do mm. still like Pitch Black, but it is not the absolute banger classic that I remember from being 15 years old. And I probably yeah. went... I've maybe only seen it like three or four times in that 15 year gap. So it's been a while since I'd seen any of these. Mm-hmm. In fact, I probably did a re- I probably did a rewatch before Riddick came out. So it'd probably be like seven or eight years since I saw the previous two. And uh, yeah, I don't enjoy this franchise as much as I thought I did. Mm-hmm. However, and you touched upon this, Matt, some of the games are fucking a lot of fun. And and really cool and do a great job of actually making you feel like a badass and and a yeah a a cool dude with the little curved knives and stuff and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. So I really enjoyed um like you said, Escape from Butcher Bay. There's a sequel to that I can't remember the name of. There is another something with Athena. Yeah, Wrath yeah. of Athena or, or Fury of Athena or something. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's all right. You know. For, for those, my overall opinion. <laughs> for those who've never seen any of these um, Vin Diesel vehicles, if you will, please, please, we, please. we should, we should, Vincent Diesel, Vincent Diesel. Uh, we should, we should um, give him some synopses. Give him, give him a breakdown of what these films are about. Mm. Please do, Matthew. This is something we brought back for the season by popular demand because we do fix some weird shit on this mm. show sometimes, especially when it comes to Patreon picks, because. They can basically pick whatever they want within reason. So, yeah. Mm. And uh, we now have the responsibility of synops- synopsizing. I guess that's the verb. <laughs> All three films. <laughs> yeah. So thank God it wasn't like, fix Transformers the last night. I'll be like, no. I'm fixing the, I am fixing the second one. Fuck off. I am not writing a synopsis for five Michael Bay movies. <laughs> but yeah, this time we will actually... And Tim, I believe it is your responsibility to summarise Richard's adventures so far. Yeah. <laughs> like a fucking middle school Ricky's, substitute teacher. Richard's Ricky's adventure fun in the space dark. time. Yeah. They shouldn't have called him Richard. It's fucking stupid. Uh, okay. So let's start with 2000's Pitch Black. Uh, and I've tried to keep these as brief as possible. And As always. Try not yes, to ramble. Do, as always. But... Yeah. Yeah, there is some unavoidable waffle. In especially yeah. always going to be, always going to be. Yeah. In the distant future, a spaceship transporting passengers in cryostasis goes off course, crashing on a deserted planet. Among the survivors are a Muslim imam traveling to New Mecca, a teenage boy called Jack, the ship's docking pilot Carolyn Fry, a police officer called Johns, and his prisoner, notorious criminal. Richard B. Riddick. All those characters are vital through the rest of these movies. Make sure we've got all the names, everybody. Yeah. They're all really important. Pay attention. Well, some, maybe a little bit. 
This really yeah. is the story. This is like Jack and Caroline's journey throughout. And Riddick's yeah. just kind of in the background, honestly. They're the key characters you really <laughs> need to focus on. <sighs> the group explores the planet, which has three suns providing perpetual sunlight. They find an abandoned geological survey facility, which has a dropship, but the batteries are drained. One of the survivors is killed, and the others suspect Riddick until Carolyn is almost killed by a subterranean monster that appears to be sensitive to light. The group realises that the surveyors were killed by the creatures 22 years ago, when the planet had a total solar eclipse, and that another is due. They return to the crash site and recover the power cells they need to use the dropship, but the eclipse hits, plunging the planet into darkness. The creatures leave their underground nest and fly into the sky, killing some of the survivors. And to put it into perspective, the moment of darkness is fucking terrifying. I remember that scared the the shit out of me (laughs) as a 15-year-old. When, mm. as we know, know that they're called for patrons who've heard the outtakes, the bioraptors <laughs> unleash themselves and like swarm in the sky and do the whole kind of like, yeah, mm. scary mm. shit, man. Scary shit. Hive hornets. Mm. <laughs> Riddick, whose eyes are sensitive to light but able to see in the dark, offers to guide the group back to the dropship while they use lights to ward off the creatures. More survivors die as they journey across the landscape, including Johns, who is revealed to be a bounty hunter. Eventually, the only survivors are Riddick, Carolyn, Abu the Imam, and Jack, who turns out to be a girl disguised as a boy. The group becomes stuck in a cavern with no light left, so Riddick leaves them, taking the power cells. Inside the cave, the others find bioluminescent worms that they can use as a light source, enabling Carolyn to follow after Riddick. She reaches the ship as Riddick is preparing to leave, and he offers to take her with him. She refuses to join him unless he rescues the others, which he eventually agrees to do. They rescue Abu and Jack, but Riddick is wounded, and Carolyn dies saving him. The three survivors board the dropship, and Riddick uses the engines to incinerate a large number of the creatures as they take off. The end. There you go. I won't give too many opinions just now because I've got a lot to say about this movie. So I'll just we will, say, we will mm. talk about it. Yeah, we will mm. dive more mm. in depth in a moment, listeners. Don't worry. All we'll say mm. is straightforward. Yeah. Yes. Fairly a like, nice, relatively tight. small budget, tight script. Yeah. Everything happens basically in like two or three places. Yeah. Lovely, jubbly. So presumably, the follow-up is much the same. Clearly. Yeah. 2004's The Chronicles of Riddick. Five years after the events of Pitch Black, Riddick is in hiding, pursued by bounty hunters. He kills the crew of a merc named Tombs and steals his ship, heading to New Mecca on Helion Prime, where the contract was issued. The source of the contract is Imam Abu, who is worried his planet is about to be invaded by an army of crusading religious fanatics called the Necromongers. Amazing name. Amazing name. Abu introduces Riddick to Arion, an elemental who believes Riddick is the last survivor of the Furians, a race who dared to defy the Necromongers. <laughs> oh hey, my hey, god, hey, so listen. many proper nouns. It's just gone, whoop, and just gone absolutely <laughs> mental. New Mecca is invaded by the Necromongers and falls in a single night, with Abu killed in the battle. The next day, Riddick defies the Necromonger High Priest, known as the Purifier, as he attempts to convert the Helion Prime population. Riddick kills the necromonger warrior who murdered Abu, impressing their leader, the Lord Marshal. He orders that Riddick be forcibly converted. Hey, hey, listeners, do you remember when we do these big sci-fi franchises every, on big fancy <laughs> things that we tackle? 
it's a regular genre that comes up on sequelizers. And there's all these fucking proper nouns that make no sense <laughs> and are just a bunch of words jumbled together. Get fucking ready. <laughs> that's, that all this, that's all this. It's the Furians and the Helion and the Arions, who was an elemental yep. of the space plane of death and all this fucking madness. And yeah, <laughs> it's going to be a lot of that. During a telepathic scan, the Lord Marshal <laughs> learns. Yeah, that's that a Riddick... thing now. Sure, why not? Yep. <laughs> the Lord Marshal learns that Riddick is indeed a Furian and oh changes his orders, demanding <laughs> that Riddick be killed. However, he briefly escapes, only to be recaptured by Tombs and his new crew. Brilliant. Riddick manipulates Tombs into taking him to Crematoria, a prison planet where Jack is now imprisoned. Remember Jack from the first yep. film? Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's back. Everybody's favourite character. The Lord Marshal sends Commander Vaco to hunt Riddick down. My, while bo- Vaco's... my boy Carl Urban. Yep. Go Carl with Urban. a fucking terrible... Buzz cut? <laughs> mullet, rat tail hairdo. <laughs> While Vako's scheming wife speaks with Arion, the Elemental reveals that the Lord Marshal slaughtered the children of Furia over 30 years ago when it was prophesied that one of them would kill him. On Crematoria, Riddick is deposited in the prison where he reunites with Jack, now called Kira, while Toombs and his crew haggle over their bounty with the prison warden. Realising that the Necromongers are after Riddick, the warden kills the bounty hunters and imprisons Toombs, planning to leave the planet. Riddick takes advantage of the fight to escape with Kira and several other prisoners, who attempt to reach the warden's ship first by crossing Crematoria's volcanic, sunblasted surface. They manage to arrive just as the prison guards and necromongers are fighting. Varko captures Kira and leaves Riddick to die in the fiery sunrise, but Riddick is rescued by the Purifier, who reveals himself to be another Furian survivor. Oh, good. He encourages Riddick to kill the Lord Marshal, <laughs> then commits suicide. Brilliant. Riddick pursues Varko to, to, uh, in Toombs' ship, while Varko reports that Riddick has been killed and is promoted to the Lord Marshal's second-in-command. Riddick infiltrates the Necromunga flagship, but is spotted by Dame Varko. She tells her husband and plans with him to let Riddick fight the Lord Marshal, weakening him, so that Varko can then murder him and take his place because they have this stupid rule that you get to keep whatever you kill, which comes up earlier in the film. Which doesn't actually work, because if you keep what you kill, it's the thing you killed, not what you use to kill them with. Yep. Yep. And and most of the time it doesn't make sense, but we'll get back to that. Yeah. Riddick confronts the Lord Marshal, who reveals a seemingly converted Kira. He and Riddick fight, with the Lord Marshal dominating thanks to his supernatural powers. (laughs) By the way, listeners, there's just a bunch of mad powers just happening. <laughs> just, yep. just mad shit happening for no reason, it seems. Just before Riddick is killed, Kira stabs the Lord Marshal in the back with a spear, and he mortally wounds her in return. He, he throws her into a big pole covered in spikes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the camera then goes, look at this big pole full of spikes, and like zooms out. Like, Yeah, we know. It's been there the whole time. You don't need to reveal a big pole full of spikes. Oh god. Varko attempts to kill the wounded Lord Marshal, but he uses his powers to evade the blow, only to be killed by Riddick. Kira dies in Riddick's arms, and he collapses into the Necromunga throne as Varko and the rest of the army kneels before him. Because you keep what you kill, and now he's got 
a whole space empire that he owns. By the way, it's not just that you keep what you kill. The, the film literally cuts to a close-up of his mouth. He goes, you keep what you kill. It's like, oh, I just realized what's happened here. It's like, yeah, we fucking know. Good God. <laughs> you mentioned that earlier. Yeah, it's fine. So, two films in, we've gone from small, set on one planet, basically one location, for want of a better phrase, a couple of caves and whatnot, notwithstanding. Like, psychological, low-budget, sci-fi horror type stuff. Cool. Mm. Yeah. Then it goes space opera, whatever the fuck yes. the second movie is. Just madness. So, like, now he's magic. You're like, what do you mean now he's magic? <laughs> now people are telepathic. What do you mean people are telepathic? Like, why? We'll, we'll get onto it. <laughs> so, obviously, yeah. so, obviously, obviously, the third film is going to be Riddick as like a reluctant ruler of the empire, and then he comes to terms with how to rule the full on the empire, Twilight Imperium, huge space yeah. empire shit. Yeah, yeah. He he tur- he turns around the necromongers for better, yeah. and is able to like save the galaxy and stuff. The natural right? escalation of big, big, totally big. makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So twenty thirteen, Riddick. Five years later, Riddick awakens on a deserted planet, badly injured. Wait, what? He fends off. <laughs> I thought he was just in the throne. What the fuck is going on with this movie? He lost his car in the car park. Leave him alone. <laughs> He's older oh, now. I, I, I left my empire park by there and I can't find it. <laughs> yeah. I was outside of Sainsbury's. Was <laughs> that car? Soon all the cars were gone. I was in the wrong supermarket. So what the fuck are you talking about? Do you validate? <laughs> he fends off a number of local predators, including hyena-like canines, eel-like fish, and scorpion-like creatures that live in mud pools. All have fantastic names. As we discussed in Tim's quiz on the outtakes. Yep. Yes. Fuck me. Go but are never that. mentioned in the actual film. Yep. Nope. <laughs> Not spoiling that, because they're gold. <laughs> Finding shelter in an abandoned ruin, he recollects the circumstances that have brought him here. Classic framing device, of course. Not enough budget. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Although crowned Lord Marshal of the Necromongers, Riddick refused to convert to their faith, causing dissent among his subjects and numerous assassination attempts. Brilliant. Frustrated and seeking more information on his origins, he strikes a deal with Varko, who will guide him to Furia in return for becoming the new Lord Marshal. Almost said the nude Lord Marshal there. That would be a different kind of film. Actually, there's there's a lot of nudity in this film, I think about it. Yeah, there is. The nudity increases as the series goes on. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't get good, though. They they turn up a knob that says nudity, and they turn down the the knob that says (laughs) sense. (laughs) <laughs> Look, when your knob is focused on nudity sense goes out the window everyone can attest to that <laughs> Varko's lieutenant Crone and a group of necromongers take Riddick to a planet but he realises that it is not Furia in fact it's called not Furia according to the what wiki the fuck well in the opening in the narration it says I'm gonna call this planet not Furia it's like oh fuck off yeah. Oh, let's uh, point out, and we uh, just very, very quickly here. None of us can do a, a Vin Diesel impression because no one can do a Vin Diesel impression. Family. <laughs> so we're not, we're going to make some gruff noises and just go along with it, please. Thank you. Yeah. Basically, sound like Sylvester Stallone and a few other things along the way. <laughs> Yo, Necromongus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, please. So he realizes it's not Furia, and they plan to betray him. He kills most of them, but Crone triggers a landslide, burying Riddick alive. As he heals from his injuries. 
Riddick notices an area of savanna beyond the rocky cliffs he is located in, but the only path is through a swampy area infested with larger versions of the scorpion creatures. Bemoaning the fact that his time as Lord Marshal has left him soft and civilised, he opts to return to a more basic mode of survival. He crafts improvised weapons, eating the eel fish for sustenance, and training one of the hyena dogs as his companion. He also begins injecting himself with the venom from the scorpion creatures to build an immunity. Finally ready, he kills the scorpion creatures and heads out onto the savannah. Time passes and his hyena companion grows to full size. One day, he notices rain clouds, and seeing how they make his pet nervous, he realises something bad is coming. He journeys to an abandoned mercenary station and triggers an emergency beacon, which transmits his identity and location out into space. Two mercenary crews quickly arrive. A rough-and-tumble group, led by the violent and unstable Santana, known for working with Rob Thomas, <laughs> followed shortly by a more professional group led by Boss. I fucking wish the mercenary was legendary Latin guitarist Carlos Santana. That would be amazing. Just shows up, plays smooth, fucks wow. off again. <laughs> oh, amazing. They find a message from Riddick telling them to leave a ship for him or die, but disregard it. So he cannot steal their ships, they remove a power node from each one and lock them in a ba uh, lock them in their base. Their first night on the planet, Riddick kills several members of Santana's group. Drummer, bassist. Uh, <laughs> Rob Thomas. <laughs> Rob Thomas is the first to die. Rob Thomas is always uh, the first to die. Yep. Forcing him to cooperate with Boss, who reveals his surname is Johns. <gasps> oh, that character? We've heard that name before. Fucking fuck off. But you probably won't remember it unless you've watched Pitch Black like hey, two days hey, earlier. Hey, remember, remember like when the Star Wars prequels just has everyone related to everyone else? Yeah. Fuck yeah, off. Yeah, we love that Darth part. Vader built C-3PO, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense, doesn't it? Fuck off. Also, the actor who plays... John's and the actor who plays John's Jr. have three years between them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So weird. Riddick tricks the group into unlocking the power node cabinet and steals both, then approaches the groups to make a deal. However, it turns into an ambush as they shoot Riddick with tranquilizers and Santana kills his hyena. Taking Riddick back to the base, John's interrogates him, asking about his son's fate. Rain reaches the base, and thousands of the scorpion creatures awaken from hibernation, killing more of the mercs. Sound familiar, <laughs> listeners? <laughs> a bunch of scary monsters awaken on a deserted planet and kill a bunch... Oh, fuck off. And we need to get off, but our power supply is oh, somewhere else. Oh, no. We've never been in this situation before, said the mercenaries yeah. and, and Richard B. Riddick. Yeah. <laughs> fuck off. Johns agrees to free Riddick so they can fetch the stolen power nodes, but Santana decides to kill Riddick instead. However, Riddick, with only one leg free, disarms Santana and kills him with his own machete. That was cool. Mm. <laughs> and it drops into a little box that he's got prepared for yep. Riddick's head. <laughs> Johns, Riddick, and Santana's second in command, Diaz, take hover bikes to retrieve the nodes. Riddick reveals to Johns that he didn't kill his son telling him that he was also a morphine addict who wanted to use a child as bait when they were trapped in exactly the same situation as they're currently trapped in. 
hey, this reminds me of when I was hanging out with your son in exactly the same situation, but yeah, he wanted he wanted to use a kid, and he was shooting up as well. So you know, there's that. Yeah, that thanks. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah, and who gave him his first hit? It was me. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Diaz attempts to kill Riddick for the reward, and Riddick kills him. But Johns and Riddick discover that the hover bikes are now broken. Riddick and Johns attempt to return to the base, fighting off waves of the scorpion creatures. Riddick is badly wounded, and Johns takes the, both power nodes, seemingly leaving Riddick to die. But then Johns returns to uh, in his ship, rescuing Riddick. They all drink lemonade. The end. Lemonade spiked with the scorpion monster venom <sighs> because Riddick. Yep. So, listeners, it's a big old fucking mess, as you may have noticed. (laughs) Like we said, first one starts off nice and small and all set in one place. As I mentioned, second one goes big, batshit, and mental. And the third one is like, better go back to the first one, I suppose. What? What? I fucking commit to an idea, you batshit franchise. I mean, their their hand was slightly forced with the third one. Very much so. Because Chronicles of Riddick was a bomb. Yeah, so True. let's let's brief briefly touch on box office and and budgets here. So back in the back way back in the year two thousand, twenty three million dollar dues was the budget <laughs> for Pitch Black. Made a box office of just over fifty, and bear in mind it would not have had a full Hollywood advertising budget kind of thing. It's the it success. made its money yeah. back. Yeah, it's it's a rough success. For a small budget film, that's pretty much a success. And on top of that, a lot of it, well, not those figures, but a lot of its success would have been the DVD sales and popularity. Correct. And yeah. it followed, like like we you both touched upon, the huge success with home release and home video and, and the, the, the event that was the arrival of DVD was a huge deal for films like this. Yep. In the year, like late, ni- late 99, 2000, 2001, that was the... Things get saved by the the advent of DVDs and home releases and all that kind of stuff. Yep. Fast forward to 2004, about 110, $120 million. So, mm-hmm. oh, I don't know, six times the budget yeah. of the first <laughs> one for Chronicles. It's like, okay, that's a bold step. That's not only six times the budget of the original, but like two and a half times the box office of the original one as well. So, mm. interesting. It made about that as well so it lost <laughs> money because as we always talk about on this show and i'm sure some listeners know some listeners don't know there are very very big marketing and advertising campaigns behind big releases and now this one is much much bigger than the first one not just from the budget side of things it is now distributed by universal it mm. is a proper big hollywood production but for want of a better phrase which means it probably had another 80 to 100 million dollars on top of the production budget put behind it in terms of marketing and advertising. Yeah. Which means it lost about 80 to 100 million dollars <laughs> of that marketing and advertising campaign. And yeah. that, my friends, is bad marketing. So, as you said, Tim, second one's a fucking bomb. So we come on to the third one. You're like, oh, third one's kind of like the first one, as I mentioned. Oh, we're stuck on a planet and it's all. You know, it's the rain. It's not the it's not the darkness. It's the rain this time because rain's scary yeah. too. No, yeah, not. you know, you know that primordial fear that all humans have. <laughs> rain. I mean, British people are used to it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Maybe if they're Australians, they'd probably be freaked out by it. But we're back, way, way, way back down now to thirty-eight million dollar budget, almost the same as Pitch Black. And bear yeah. in mind, 
this is 2013 38 million dollars compared to yeah 13 years earlier 23 yeah. million so probably even closer if you factor in inflation and stuff mm-hmm. like over the course of 13 years oh i don't know and a financial crisis in the middle of that yeah <laughs> probably about the same mm. uh just under a hundred million dollars box office about 98 is the reported on box office mm-hmm. mojo so it made its money so back it made I its guess. money back yeah yeah but, but it, given it, the other films that that vin diesel was starring in around that time yeah it ain't it ain't and and he so vin diesel has a cameo in fast and furious tokyo drift he does uh, which he had, he'd obviously starred in the first Fast and Furious, and that had been where he'd really blown up as a as a movie star. And that's the year after Pitch Black, <clears throat> to put it into perspective. Yep. That's two thousand and one is yep. when Fast and Furious comes out. Yeah, and then he didn't do the second one. Wanted to move on to other things. How did, did they get he him did back? Triple X, by the way, he in two thousand two. Yeah. That was another big thing for him that didn't really again a yeah. trilogy that uh, flopped on its ass. Got more money and more sequels eventually. But get to that. Yep. 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 yep, yep. How did they how did they get him to do a cameo for Tokyo Drift? Because he said, I'll do it if I can have the rights to the Riddick character back. Mm-hmm. So that would have happened in about 2006, 2007. I can't remember quite when Tokyo Drift comes sure. out. Tokyo Drift 2006. Yeah, you're correct. There we go. And then he spent, uh, what is that, seven years <laughs> putting together the money to make Riddick to finish his vision, so in, Invol- mind, including in that seven years, he is in, I don't know, the classic, the pacifier, everybody's favorite, <laughs> you know, action hero turns kid star that is fucking atrocious. Uh, yeah. Mentioned Tokyo Drift, not really in that. Fast and Furious Four, which we've touched upon, we fixed too Fast and Furious back in the day, but the fourth mm-hmm. one, I mentioned in the season opener because mm-hmm. that film is shite and i would argue yep. maybe the worst of the entire franchise then yeah, goes on probably. 2011 and also 2013 this is the moment this is fast five and fast and furious six this is yeah hot shit badass vin diesel oh my god fast and furious is the best thing in the cinemas right now fast five is where that franchise turns around Literally the year later, he's like, cool, I'll do Riddick now then, because I'm the hottest star in the world. Yeah, and yeah. he still had to mortgage his own house, remortgage <laughs> his own house to get funding for this. I mean, I, I, I do was... respect that commitment in, in a way. I respect oh, it's like vision yeah. for a project, yeah, passion project. Yeah, I mean, I don't like these films, <laughs> but I do like that they exist, because yeah. I like that there is a, like, God God bless Vincent Diesel. Like, he's <laughs> such a giant nerd. Yes, he really and, is. And, like, I love that he is basically using his movie star money to make his D&D adventures into films, hmm. which he has done with two... Well, he's done with this franchise and The Last Witch Hunter, Last which I'm Witch sure he would have yeah. loved to have been a franchise, but... <laughs> d- d- yeah, that so, d- also so tie in literally into D&D with The Last Witch and Witch Hunter. The, so that's 2015, that film was released. Mm-hmm. Later that year... No, no, during the promotion of that movie, it was part of the marketing budget, mm. uh, he appears on a like live stream D&D thing with some of the people from Geek and Sundry and Critical Role, some mm. of the huge D&D streaming people that those of you who know, you already mm. know, but streaming Dungeons and Dragons games and tabletop RPGs and stuff like that. 
is very big on Twitch and YouTube and all that sort of stuff and podcasts and yeah. all that kind of stuff. These are two of the biggest names. Geek and Sundry was the production company you probably know from The Guild and Felicia Day and those guys back in the early internets and the early aughts. And then Critical Role are now the biggest D&D podcast mm. in the world. Huge. Went branched off, made their own company, all this kind of stuff. And they had Vincent fucking Diesel show up and basically play the last Witch Hunter character. It's fully based on his D&D character yes. that he's been playing for like... 14 years exactly which he has tattooed on his arm he has the name yeah. of his d that's the that's next level nerd shit is having your D D character tattooed on your that's fucking arm. hardcore commitment <laughs> yep to the point where now the blood hunter class which is uh, as close as you can get to an official class in dungeons and dragons mm. is based on that character Made by Matt Mercer, who is the DM from Critical Role. Yeah. Mm. Arguably one of the most famous dungeon masters in the world at the moment. Yeah. Basically yeah. endorsed by the company, Wizards of the Coast, that own Dungeons and Dragons, and it's available <laughs> for free through all of their shit. And you're like, what is the what is the life of Vincent Diesel? How is this a thing that has happened? <laughs> I think you My mean God. honorary Dr. Mark Sinclair. Sorry, yes. yes. Because for those who don't know, Doctor Mark Sinclair. Doctor Mark Sinclair is 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 he's um. I saw my wife about this earlier. Um, he has an honorary doctorate in English, and his name is Mark Sinclair. So he is literally Doctor Mark Sinclair. But Vin yep. Diesel sounds cooler. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a lot to say about these movies, actually, if you don't mind. And if you do mind, ha- have at it. Welcome to this show. <laughs> <laughs> Tough shit. We host this. It's it's really it's really tricky. It's really tricky because, as I said, I was a perfect age for the first one. I should have been the perfect age for the second one, but it, it left me cold, and the third one just made me very angry. Now, I like the premise, as it were, which is in, very popular in video games and happens in films a fair amount, of a group of regular people accidentally stumble across a plot of a bigger thing and go, you know, it, it's it's almost like they weren't even looking for it. They just happened to accidentally fall into oh shit, what is all this? And being just lost in the world, audience surrogate kind of thing. I think that nature of survival could be really interesting as a plot point. And that is basically the first film. Um, now, I think there's a comparison with these three that I'd like to just quickly tap into here. And I think Jack hinted at it at the start of the episode. And that's the first three Alien movies. Mm, Not by design, so. but in a similar way. So, Alien... Classic movie, obviously, very grounded, very small, very tight-knit, very compact in its nature. I'm not saying Pitch Black is as good as Alien, not even closely, but it leans into and benefits from its restraints, being a small budget, a small, tight And it's clearly Mm. heavily influenced by it. Very much so. Basically, all of the technology and all the ships and all the buildings and shit look like they're straight out of the Alien universe. If someone said, like, oh, this is in the same universe, I'd say, yeah, that makes complete sense. That's, agreed. That's fine. Agreed. I had um, I had that exact thinking. Yeah. 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 It's a simple premise. I like Carolyn's arc where she goes from someone who's literally like Jess and the crew. I do not care. She's very selfish all the way to I would die to protect these people because I got I got to know them better. And that that's really interesting. The nature of the characterization of different um, ethnic groups and stuff like that to people's perspective on the world and just one is set on this new habitat and things like that and colonialism. In that regard, it's very interesting in terms of what it does with so little basically it feels like a a really well sketched out universe even with the tiny details that you get without putting a lot of effort into world building that is it it. doesn't yeah it doesn't need to because it just 
it just feels grounded and lived in. Precisely. We touch upon this a lot, especially, again, I know we talk about sci-fi and fantasy a lot, but mm. we're, we're in the genre this week, ladies and gentlemen. Sorry. Um, <laughs> the, the way world building is done, and this is a thing used in video games a lot, and again, I know I touch on video games a lot, but again, tough. We're here. Let's talk about it. Dark Souls is a big thing where they don't really talk about the story very much, mm. and they use a lot of things called environmental storytelling, where you'll yes. see... Yes the name of a thing or a character will mention a thing perfect example of this is blade runner a lot of people don't credit blade runner for doing this very true there's fucking space colonies in blade runner nobody goes there we don't the sequel isn't flying out mm. and saying oh what, what was roy batty up to when he was you know off in the, the tannhauser gate and all this bullshit and yeah exactly yeah. what do the androids do in space are they miners are they warriors is there a like earth empire basically like the necromongers going we have no idea but that's cool just those little hints and those little things you feel like oh it, it, we're not just here watching these characters and the rest of the world doesn't exist as you said tim it feels lived in it feels like a living breathing universe and world and planet and whatever that makes sense and yeah. pitch black does a brilliant job of that in the yeah. same way that the alien <laughs> the first alien <laughs> movie touches on oh What's the name of this corporation? That's weird. What does that name mean? What? Who's that? There's a thing on you see like names on a screen or whatever. All those little moments, those little hints that make you realize, oh, this world is bigger than just the six characters in this room at the moment. Yeah, it's it's, it's the and, nature. And of then they try and explain everything. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the nature of trying to represent these things through the characters, not just like with because I know that in the prequels, for example, George Lucas is very bad at it. He will just talk about something, and rather than you going, that's interesting, he'll say you end up saying, that seems more interesting than what we're doing now. Why aren't we with that? And unlike that, you don't get the situation of why aren't you showing me these interesting developments, these interesting world buildings. You just go, cool, I can tell you're all from different pockets of the society and you, there's a, clearly like, almost like a caste system of hierarchy of structures and things and, and the, you know, the way it goes through hyperspace, it works and space travel. There's so much and all there. And like the religious the themes and stuff. Yes, entirely. It's, it can mm. be so interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, it, it does the thing that... Uh, the expanse does which i know jack and i really love. love the expanse which is i i and it's a it's a trope that doesn't show up a huge amount at least that i'm aware of and there's certainly a lot of sci-fi that goes out of its way to avoid it sure. but i love having contemporary religions represented yeah. in yeah. like future sci-fi in in the expanse you have the mormons mm. yeah who have commissioned a giant spaceship to go out. And, ship, yeah. I think they're in starship yeah. troopers as well. The Mormons get around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and in this, you have, you have Muslims heading out right. to, yeah. you know, on a, on a pilgrimage to new Mecca. And it's, what a it's cool so idea. great. I, I, like, mm -hmm. Yeah. And it just, it grounds it so much and gives you just this amazing sense of like, Oh, this is, this is, it's a world that is tied back to earth and grounded in that. Mm. But at the same time, it, you get the sense of how expansive this universe is. And, and this is something I always, always bang on about. If you want to do good science fiction, write it as if it's a 16th century or 17th century exploration piece. Because our own equivalent <laughs> lived-in experience, it, from terms of like you know our societies now, is we're going to get on a boat, it's going to be really rough, and when we arrive, there's no help. We're stranded. We've got to get ourselves off this situation. And we want to build this new life here. What is what is this place? We don't really know. We're just arrogantly arriving. And we just assume it will be abundant in resources. And the thing we're looking for, we're looking for gold, 
Okay. Yeah. Is it have any gold? Don't know. Don't care. We'll just kill anyone who has, you know, who's already here. All this <laughs> stuff you, you, and trekking down the Amazon, the Aguirre kind of stuff. Do that, but in space, and it becomes really relatable because you're like, well, why are you doing this? God, freedom, expansion. <laughs> like, they, they become things we're familiar like with them. Beaver pelts. <laughs> Beaver, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> We've decided this is worth something. Um, in the same way that in Alien, they're all just people who are regular working Joes. And it's like, that feels kind of weirdly relatable now now here's the fucking thing <laughs> aliens is bigger than alien there's more world building it changes genre it becomes the s yes there's yes multiple aliens yes and it's it's got a lot going on How, however it's not like you find out that Jones the fucking cat is the high prince of the Necoverse and destined to embark on a quest <laughs> to free the cat people from the tyrannical race of fucking rat men. And it's like, what? Can we, can we have Ripley's the, story? Ne the Neko mongers, please? Where it's a bunch of <laughs> Japanese cat monsters like, ruling the galaxy. Yeah, and it's like, wait, wait, wait. So you went from a story about the, su the survival of this person who's Ripley's the main character. Yeah, but we like the cat. Right. Okay. And the cat survives. Okay. And the cat's actually part of this huge order. He's actually a super space cat with spoofer powers. And you thought he was just like, oh, I sense what's going on. He didn't sense what's going on. He was fucking working through the tunnels. Let's have a whole film about him. And he stands up on his two legs and says, hello, Ripley. I, Jones, will help you. Like, Where is this going? <laughs> That's, to me, is Chronicles of Riddick. And it's like... What the fuck are you on are you about? Saying, are you saying Riddick is the Jones of this universe? No, he's, to be fair, he's kind of Ripley's flamethrower. Um, <laughs> um, and then this gets really interesting. Alien 3 is a reaction mm. to Alien 2. And it's like, well, we can't do the same thing again. We can't keep escalating. We have to go back and drill down to what made Alien good. And it becomes very stripped down. And the, uh, the characters you like are dead and gone. It's just that main character, i.e. Ripley. It's down to one or two small things again. It's basically the same premise, and you are robbed of any weapons. So a lot of the things that made it bigger and bigger and more exciting stripped down. Studio interference and lots of other budgetary things made it very problematic, etc. As we, we know from Alien Three, but it's still Which got we something discussed to say. on a previous episode way we, back in the day. We did, mm -hmm. we did in the first season, the season finale of season one. Riddick kind of does that because of the constraints of, as you mentioned, budgetary issues and trying to things like that. But it, it has an awful underlying thing to it. Now, Alien, if you took Alien 3 and rather than making a commentary on this one sole woman in a colony of all male prisoners who've been incarcerated for multiple things, including murder and rape and all that sort of stuff, like, shit, that's a toxic environment of the prisoners, let alone who are trying to reform themselves in certain places they left on. There is no guards. It's just literally the prisoners it is left to, you know, self-isolate on this island. That's very interesting as a, as a setting. Riddick's Alien 3 concept is what if Bear Grylls was really fucking horny? <laughs> <laughs> then he called for some people and made a lot of really weird comments. And it's like, what, what do you mean? I was like, oh, I'm going to have this. <laughs> how, am I, how do I lure this? <laughs> what if Bear Grylls really needed HR to cut, step in yeah, and exactly. address some of the comments he's been Precisely. making? Precisely. It's like, I've been alone on this island for quite some time. Oh, okay. You know what? I did to lure the scorpion thing out. I let it bite my leg and then I cut it off. It's like, that seems remarkably reckless and stupid. It's like, yeah, but there was a puppy. It's like, okay. And then, oh, look, a, a crew of bounty hunters arrived and a woman. Turns out the woman is, I, she's lesbian, I believe. Yes, yes. yes. And she has even have the line, yeah. I, does, I don't fuck men, I fuck them up, which is... Mm. Mm. And <laughs> actually, there's a line actually in a, in a new film coming out, so I don't, I, don't, I don't date men, I kill them or something like that, which is actually cleaner than this one. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. 
but it's 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 like, like literally him saying things like the whole relationship with him and Dahl, played by Katie Sackhoff, is remarkably uncomfortable. Yeah, in the way that like I I. I don't mention her. I didn't no. mention her in the in the uh, synopsis no. because, like, the character doesn't have that much of an impact on the film as a whole, and she's just around to be like objectified yeah. and have horrible things like said to her while also having that very like generic. Ah, well, she shoots a gun, so she must be a strong female character. She's, it's like, yeah, that's angry. not how that fucking works. Strong doesn't mean physically strong. It means well-written and well-rounded. Mm-hmm. And she is not that. No. Well, she's literally just Starbuck from Battlestar Galactica. Yes. Like, she is just playing herself again, basically. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, yeah. we saw Katie Sackhoff in this successful sci-fi franchise copy paste yeah and like yep. she wears the same fucking clothes as starbucks yeah, like she the, does the, the vague like gray khaki kind of military gear mm, and shit mm. she's literally just a poor man starbuck and they're like who are we gonna get to play poor man starbuck oh i don't know actual katie sackoff poor katie sackoff I'm, I'm gonna give you yeah. some dialogue from this movie okay because it's the most egregious oh, thing i had a real problem with um and i'm not talking like that you know in a simple like it's it's not even the sense of like me being prudish or anything. It's just the idea of like this is shit. This is badly written, yes. and you're wasting an actor who could be proved. I think like, recently you used it reasonably well in um in, in the Mandalorian and stuff. It's like yeah, this person's good. Why why you yeah? And and also like it, it does feel like Battlestar Galactica fan fiction. It's like you know what I'm gonna do get Katie Sackhoff. I really like her. Oh, that's cool. That'd be a good idea for character. And then when I get her tits out. Right. Why? It's what everyone, everyone who was watching Battlestar was like, ooh, ooh get can't to wait see Starbuck yeah. be sexy. It's like, fuck off. What I'm going to do is I'm going to tell her to do it and contract her to do it. And she won't want to do it, obviously. So you can tell because in the take, they I don't know how many times they did it. You can, she you looks, can, you can really she's tell. She's not acting. It's she looks so angry. <laughs> it's so uncomfortable. I'd say go look at it, but then it's like, go look at this naked woman that she doesn't want to be seen. So yeah, anyway. So there's some dialogue in this movie and there's a few little moments. One is Riddick saying, love those toenails, by the way, which is Tarantino level, ugh. Yeah, yeah, it is. And she says, yeah, Predator Pink. And that's like, okay, that's fucking stupid. And he says, yeah, matches your nipples. And it's like, uh... <laughs> I mean, okay, Riddick is a <laughs> killer and a and a, and, a, and, a, and an ex-con on a planet on his own. I kind of expect him to talk like that, but I don't want him to because it feels weird because he's meant to be the hero, anti-hero of this film. Yeah. Anyway, there's another one, which is the whole... He should be so asexual. Like, just, oh God, but mm. he's a... He's a masculine man in a world and he needs oh, to be so toxic. sexual. Yeah. And it's like, oh. you, you got any last wishes? It's like, oh, I was referring to you. No. It's, oh, yes. Yeah. Grant last wishes. I was referring to you, doll. You, you do, do you grant the last wishes? And it's like, Ugh. and she's not that the chains aren't a hot look, but no, I'm not going to straddle you in front of all these guys. And it's like, what the fuck? What? <laughs> yeah. And then he talks about going balls like Every deep, single line, like, you just go like, what? Yeah. <laughs> It's, hang on, let me get the, the, the line here. I want to get the line correct here. Then when it's all over and the rest of you are ready for dead animal pickup, I'm going to go balls deep into doll. But only because she asked me to. Sweet like. And it's like, ugh, what oh, the fuck? Oh, it's so gross. It's a, it's a line that should be coming out of Santana, not the guitarist, the bad <laughs> guy, who is essentially the bad guy in this. Yeah. Yes. Like, because he is played as like, oh, he's this creepy, like, shithead, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. It's like, that is a line that belongs to him because it marks him as just a creepy shithead. Yes. That is not the line you should be giving to your protagonist, even if he's an anti-hero, yeah. because it just, like, 
Ugh, it's so horrible. Can you imagine it's if, so if Nick fucking Cage nasty. said it in Con Air? They're like, all the other cons, I get them saying it, but not Nicolas Cage. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you're meant to be the good guy. Put the nipples back in my mouth. I was like, ugh, <laughs> what's wrong with you, Cage? <laughs> um, yeah, so it basically, it's, it's very frustrating. And the worst part is by the end of the movie, she does. And it's it's like oh it's oh it's a play on he didn't mean he was gonna have sex with her he meant that they would be riding up on the like you know embracing as they go up the chain to be saved by the ship yeah, yeah. oh you dirty boys that's not how it works like when you say balls deep I'm pretty sure I know that yeah. means one thing I I actually had to go back because I was like because I, I got to that moment at the end and I was like oh that's so fucking horrible and I was like. I thought he said he'd go balls. Like, did he actually say like she's gonna straddle me or something? Because yes, obviously yes. that makes sense. Yes. And then I went back and it was like, no, he says balls deep. Like, no, there's that, no, yeah. that there's does no not misconstruing have, or misunderstanding that sentence. No. That's not a double entendre. That's a single entendre. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. barely any entendre. Yeah, that's yeah. just. A, a threat slash promise. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's just sexual harassment. <laughs> yeah. And okay, so we're touching on some very min- what is min- single entendre if not sexual yeah. harassment? Some minute things here, but this is kind of the problem with all of Riddick. I, I, I don't necessarily dislike the premise that, as Tim kind of described it, Riddick's on a planet. He's been a, he's been betrayed by the Necromongers, which is very unsurprising considering the whole thing is you keep what you kill. There, he should be constantly on guard. Not I got soft yeah. in space. It's like how. You must be like constantly trying they to. They meant that he has a bunch of assassination attempts yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Like what? What? Yeah. Oh god. So it's it's very strange because there are so many aspects of these movies that make sense. So Pitch Black. How would you escalate Pitch Black? I guess you could do it as a prison movie. That would work quite well. Yeah, it would. It's what Butcher Bay is. It's what part of Chronicles mm-hmm. of Riddick is. That makes sense. What about going forward? You could do the big space opera thing. You could make it another you know betrayed and left for dead survival desert island you know it's like i'm now the 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 captain of this pirate ship because i've killed the captain of the pirates we're going to sail around the islands and you know the second he goes on mm. one island looking for treasure they go fuck you hey and sail off that's literally again back that 17 1800s lore of that's what humans did we have that story about you know being on a deserted island having to survive and you know punching a whale in half or some fucking nonsense <laughs> I'm so tough. I punch. I, I tamed a stingray and I rode it all the way to success or something. Um, and you know, you send up like you know a, a, a trap basically for people to come effectively rescue you. That's a great premise, but the execution is wank. And after mm. you've already set up this huge universe, and, and that's the problem. Every time you 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 have something that's established quite nicely, the idea of this universe being built and alluded to, you kind of want to see more of that. And every time they say, okay, we know you want to see more of what we just told you about. We're going to chuck all that in the bin and do a new thing. Now, is that all right? And it's like, no, it's not. No, it's not all right. Because I, I, I barely cared about it when you were introducing it. Now I'm caring less and less and less. And I thought, well, well, I might as well commit to this. I might as well see where this is going. And the answer is, it's going nowhere. And we're going over there. And it's like, oh, fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so frustrating because uh, like Chronicles of Rig is not good. Um, it's aged poorly. It looks like grey ass. Grey shot for TV crap, yeah. But the best, the best parts of it are when it goes back to the prison stuff, mm. like because that's the tone of the universe that has been established in Pitch Black, yeah. and the character clearly works in those circumstances. Like Riddick, when you boil him down, is basically he's what if Conan and Batman had a baby, <laughs> and then he got and then he got shoved into the aliens universe. Yeah. You know, and you can't take that character 
and suddenly turn him into fucking Aragorn. Mm. You know, they mm. they are they operate at very different like levels. Yeah. And they like David Tui, who is the director of all three films. We will come back to that um, shit. And mm. uh, co-wrote uh, them with with uh, or the latter two with Vin Diesel with Vincent lots of lots of input Vin, Vin Diesel is not a credited writer but clearly had a lot of input yeah. on these he has said like oh we wanted to make Lord of the Rings and it's like then go make like if you guys want to make a space opera that's fine but don't take this character who is so clearly in this grounded mm. gritty universe and use him to tell a space opera because he just doesn't it's it's the wrong character to I, do it. I with. can't think of any Lord of the Rings character who remotely resembles the trajectory, the arc, the presentation, or anything to do with Riddick. I can't think of anyone who's like even aligned closely. Like, well, no. Boromir's a bit of a prick. It's like, yeah, but Boromir has a code, and like, oh, Riddick has a code. Yeah. It's like, I don't think. I mean, survival isn't a code. There, there are so many things you can say. Oh, well, actually, in the Lord of the Rings or the Silmarillion, there's this like spin-off person who's kind like us. Like, yeah, but that's not the main character, mm. is it? Just to touch on that thing again about Tui, because I find that fascinating. There are fewer examples of three films back to back by the same director that feel like they could have been all three different people. I had to double check every time this movie <laughs> came out. Like, yeah. It feels like a different person. The cinematography, too. The, 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 the direction, the editing. And I know obviously it's like, well, people change their styles up and mm. we talk about how people have like uh, detrimentally put too much of themselves into it or, or, or background like Ron Howard, you know, they sort of disappear into like the, the safe hands. Like, well, there's no actual... Uh, signature to it mm. and while Pitch Black is great and uses that well Chronicles of Rick is like we've given somebody who doesn't know you know once once a mid-tier budget film gave him too much money classic early 2000s or mid 2000s thing to do mm. it's like shit here have all this money and make a big CGI film oh it didn't work then you go down to something that's smaller and he, that's why Riddick should work but feels even more broken now just because again I I, I I would have thought, oh, well, Pitch Black, bring back the same director. We did. Oh. And that's why, for example, when, as Tim said, in the prison stuff, it feels in-universe, it feels in-canon, and it feels like it actually works because it's tight-knit, it's claustrophobic, the um, sets and environment look fine. I'm not, now, this is the thing. I don't think the production design is necessarily bad for the Necromunga stuff. I think that's quite interesting, quite detailed. It's just that it's lit and shot in a way that it looks like it's like the, the fucking TV adaptation of June. It's, yeah, it, it's like it doesn't fit and doesn't fit that world that was introduced in Pitch Black either. Even like the whole no. idea of there's multiple worlds and multiple different factions and things. It's like that doesn't feel present here. That doesn't feel like the same thing at all. It feels so weird that you can have a universe where there's a new mecha and there's a fucking necromongers. Yeah, yeah. Like that doesn't that doesn't gel. No, I mean at you could all. you could do the whole yeah. thing about obviously like there is a, a literally a really aggressive religious faction who are converting people around the world forcefully. I get that kind of thing, but I don't get the and they're like this because their leader went to the underworld. It's like whoa, whoa, what, what? Whoa, whoa, what? Because <laughs> are we saying that they're one of these religious nutbag zealots has sort of met their god? Because now you're going in a very different territory. Now you're going to D and D territory where their gods are living things that are real that they converse with as opposed to ethereal beings that you believe in through faith etc and that, that's a big factor in like pitch black for example the conversations between riddick and and the imam is very interesting because it's somebody who is of faith who has lost said faith and gets it back and that, that's riddick's kind of arc he believes in people mm. and society again maybe a little bit 
because of these individuals, even though he's been neglected by all of it over and over again. The idea that he's in the opening line that I sort of alluded to in the, in the introduction, the idea that he has been, he believes in God because he survived being strangled by his own umbilical cord in the womb. And he's like, yeah, I know God is real and I hate him for it because no, no one should <laughs> go through this shit. And it's like, that's a fantastic <laughs> grounding. And then you got the, you know what? I'm going to become the fucking leader of these underworld God people. It's like, no, it, it, it's so frustrating because, and this is where we have to come to you, Mr. JFC, the guy who picked this fucking episode, dude. We have to talk to you directly <laughs> because Chronicles of Riddick is not a good film. I enjoyed it at the time in Agreed. one capacity because it's nonsense. And that's fine. That's, 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 that, and then I always get onto this, entertainment versus quality. It's entertaining pap. Sure, that's fine. People can enjoy it. I'm not going to dispute that. But it's not good. And Riddick is worse, in my opinion, for various reasons. And the fact we are fixing Riddick actually caught, and thankfully I'm not doing it, but it actually causes us a lot of issues because the logical thing to do is say, these films aren't good that follow it up. Just go from pitch black, create something interesting. It gives us a nice door to kick open to. We can explore the universe properly. But if you are tethering people to the Chronicles of Riddick universe stuff, suddenly it's not just, this is Richard B. Riddick. And he is a prisoner <laughs> and a lethal killer who can mm. dislocate his own shoulders to get out of it. He's a really mm. interesting, terrifying individual who got this very experimental and dangerous surgical procedure to get his eyes shine so he can see in the dark, see who's going to kill you on this, you know, because in prison you're kept in the dark. It's like, and he escapes into this, into this world. Which one to explore? You know, the, you know, what kind of characters do we, do we follow on this, on this quest? And like, right, cool. And then you get to Chronicles Riddick. No, none of that happened. Actually, He's a space wizard. It's like, what? He's a special race of people. And there's this ghostly woman made of wind. And she will tell him about how his whole <laughs> race of people get really angry, but can see in the dark. It's like, the fuck are you on about? Yeah. That is, that is a big thing for me. What they do with the eye shine, his ability to see in the dark thing, mm. going from like, oh, sold some smokes and got a backyard surgical deal or whatever is like, I mean, sure, that's the world. Well, it's grim and grimy and whatever. Like, mm. he probably is like taking the piss as the character, but then it to be like he's the chosen one, and that's why he <laughs> has magical eyes. It's like, hold on a minute, what did you? It, it like you said, Matt. It's insane that this trilogy is written and directed essentially by yeah the same person alongside Mister Diesel as well, of course, but like. Did you not think about this? We have this with the 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 modern Star Wars trilogy mm, of like, mm. oh, it's just completely directionless bollocks. It's yeah. just like one thing, and then we wreck on the thing. Snoke is a big deal. Snoke doesn't matter. Snoke was a big deal. Now he doesn't matter again, and the <laughs> Emperor's back. You're like, what the fuck is going on? It, I, don't... I sold it for a pack of smokes, and now I'm the chosen one. See, what do you mean <laughs> you're the chosen one? Where's I, that come from? I don't from? dislike the idea that prison is so horrible that you must do your own self-mutilation to survive. Cut off a finger so you can get a blade stuck in the gap. Carve Agreed. your face up so you look like you're more dangerous than you are. I get that. But then it comes down to Actually, my whole race of space people are special mutant human beings. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> Commit to that thing, is what I'm saying. Don't fucking change your mind to be like, he's a magical, magic chosen man. No, have him be. He fucked himself up in prison and sure. It, it, I mean, it's kind of weird, but sure, that's the, that's, you've set that tone. Commit to that fucking thing. It gets even more egregious in the 
director's cut. Oh, yeah. Because most of these, mm-hmm. m- I think all three of these films have director's cuts. Mm. Certainly Chronicles of Riddick indeed. does, and, Pr- and Riddick does as well. I have not watched them, but I, I know a bit about them. I have seen the director's cut. For, for this, I watched mm. the director's cut, kind of unknowingly, <laughs> of Chronicles of Riddick. So, yeah. yeah, I have seen that. So in the director's cut, he not only has his eyes, he has a thing called the Wrath of the Furians, yeah. which is a ghostly hand lights up on his chest and he explodes with energy. Yeah. Like the, 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 mode. The, the, as you mentioned, Matt, Ghost Woman touches his shoulder and says, you will feel the power here. And it like touches his heart. <laughs> and then she's literally in front of him. And then like her magical energy transfers into his chest. And he basically does like, the really stereotypical bullshit of like on his knees, throws his hands out and goes, and like Super Saiyan with, with vague magical energy. Mm. And it is some of the worst. I've just been hit by a thing acting I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> and I don't say this lightly about my boy, Carl Urban, because I fucking love Carl Urban. Varko's reaction to getting hit by the wrath of the Furians is the worst. And oh, <laughs> by the way, in a very speaking of one of my other favorite people, Mr. Zack fucking Snyder, it's all in slow motion because of course it is. Yeah. Because it, that classic no type thing <laughs> is of course it's in slow motion and everybody goes like, "Whoa, we're getting pushed <laughs> away by the wrath of the Furians." Fuck off with that magical bollocks. Save that shit like you said for Lord of the Rings and Dungeons and Dragons and stuff. This is not the fucking franchise to put all this space doodad magical wizard bullshit in it. You set the tone in the first film. Fucking stick with it. The other thing that the director's cut adds, at least to, to Chronicles of Riddick, is some more creepy, uncomfortable sexuality uh, from Riddick. Yeah. So clearly that's what they were really, they really wanted to be in there. Riddick fucks. Everybody, have you noticed? He fucks. And it's like, yeah, we, uh, sure. You don't have to tell <laughs> us, man. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. Are you all right? Is everything okay at home? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's frustrating because... I don't know if we actually sort of drilled down to the nuance here. We really like Pitchback, obviously. Chronicles of Riddick is very weird, but then once you go to it, you have to commit to it. And this is why I don't, I don't envy Tim. Tim's, Tim's doing the pitch, by the way. Because it's really problematic, because there's so much background, not necessarily politics, but, but, but industryisms of like, well, now, now obviously, you know, uh, Vin Diesel has the rights to this. And, it's like, and we know that Chronicles of Riddick wasn't a big success. And I know that, that, um, uh, you know, our executive producer, John Firth-Clark, who recommended us to do this one, and also the fact that a lot of people who are fans of this franchise are like, well, he's mm. he's going to take them to the underworld. It's going to be so cool. It'll be a whole load of stuff and lore and mythology. Like, yes, there could be. I don't know what Tim's done. It could be exactly that. It could be something different. But you have to acknowledge that the second film was not a big success. You're going to have to be very clever in how you get around this stuff because, again, it it, it comes down to... You can sell an audience on the fact that this is Vin Diesel. And we mentioned this before about uh, the universal success he's had, as with the universal the company. Vin Diesel, you'd think, is a huge instant ticket. Like The Rock. People just go see it because The Rock. He's one of the highest grossing actors ever. But this is the thing. People don't tend to go see films with Vin Diesel. I know people think, no. oh, well, of course they do. It's like, no, well, did you see A Man Apart? It's like, uh, and there's so what? many just random <laughs> movies that, one, that, that he's in that you just say, oh, there's this Vin Diesel movie, Bloodshot. It's like, I know that was like on the verge of the pandemic, a very difficult one to get. It's like, 
Yeah, these mm. things are not successful. He's not the bankable star you, you think he is. Did you enjoy Babylon AD? Babylon AD, the Casavis film. God Babylon damn, Babylon yeah. AD. And this is kind of the point. It's the idea of Vin Diesel is a presence and he's very good at what he does in capacity. And again, you should point out that, oh, why is he most bankable stars? Because he's in the fucking Marvel movies. He's Groot. Yeah, yeah. Of course, he, that factors into it. He's in the Fast and Furious franchise. It's huge. He had three years. If you look at his filmography, he had three years where all he had to do was say varying tones of "I am Groot" and mm. not not a, a purely voice acting roles because yes. he doesn't do motion capture for no. those. Purely voice acting. I think he's great in that role. To be fair, yeah, he's he's good as Groot, and that sounds a really thing to say, but I think he genuinely is great because obviously with his Iron Giant experience, he can actually pr project a lot with his voice. Yeah, that's why Dark Fury is so good. And he's, and then we should say he's great in Pitch Black. He is like there's a reason that like that film made him a star. He has got a lot of presence. It's just like Chronicles puts him in a situation that like that character doesn't really mm. work in. You know, it's another reason why the stuff when he goes back to the prison it works so much better mm. because that's where the character's suited. And yeah. Riddick tries to correct for that, but then by this point, it because it's because it's their own like self-financed independent movie it's their basically baby passion project now yeah they have the chance to put in all this stuff that makes riddick just this horrible creeper mm. <clears throat> i wonder if it would work better and again i don't think this is the perfect solution i'm sure tim has come up with something a bit different because it's not how we sequelize sure but if you swap chronicles of riddick and riddick yeah. So it does. So it I does escalate, and yeah. it and it literally yeah. ends with him like sitting on the throne and being like, "Oh shit, the new leader yeah. of the Necromongers is Riddick," and that's like, mm. and then you just imagine what happens next, and off he goes, <laughs> and you know he escapes from the pitch black planet to then, you know, five years later he's trying to survive. Blah blah blah. Mm. You mm. you you again rejig it slightly, but retell the story of him going from Pitchback Planet to this next planet and him mm. just trying to survive, introduce him into Varco in that one, build the little necromongery things in the second one, yeah. and then have him become the Emperor, <clears throat> Lord Marshal, whatever the fuck, in mm. the third one, and have it literally end with him on the throne. That makes way more sense as an escalation and a three-act story structure than... Mm. It's like the opposite, and the typical thing we do now is everybody wants to make Empire Strikes Back. It's the thing people have been doing for the last of 40 course. fucking years since that movie came out is you have the introductory first one, which is quite like full of hope and, oh, it's all new characters and everything's mm. going to be gee whiz, radioactive man, everything's going to be fine. And then the second one is the dark grim one and the heroes lose and, oh, no, it's going to be really bad and sad and somebody's favorite mm. character dies. And they come back in the third one and... I mean, as has been the trend recently, they fucking whiff it and miss. <laughs> but that, that's, that's the more typical kind of sci-fi mm. story structure of the last couple of decades. Mm. Mm. But a more traditional three-act three story is that escalation for Riddick to go from planet to introduction of the wider universe to, holy shit, there is a bigger universe and here's how mm. that yeah. culminates. Makes yeah, no Chron sense Chronicles to go very small very big somewhere in the middle mm. that that makes no sense to audiences that makes no sense for his progression as mm. a character it just makes no sense to me and obviously you'd need a fair lot of rejigging in that and that is not how this show works mm. because 
uh, uh, why we're so annoyed with you, Mr. Executive <laughs> Producer Jonathan Firth-Clark, is that we can't change the second one. What exists before us fixing the film Canon. exists, and we can't do that. Yeah. We can change other stuff, like I mentioned in my Transformers pitch at the beginning yes, of this yes. thing. Having, having Justin Lin not do Fast and Furious 4, tough shit. Who cares? That film's terrible. Mm. Those are the tweaks we can do, but we can't go, actually... I'm not going to do Riddick. I'm going to do Chronicles of Riddick and swap them yes. around. <laughs> mm. That is kind of against the spirit of the show. And as much as that would make way more sense, I think you got a really tough job here, Tim, yeah. to be honest. I, I think it's very interesting because um, t- twofold things, first of all, um, to sort of uh, end this uh, breakdown on. The first thing is Dark Fury. We talk about how do you transition from pitch black to uh, a world which builds out more of the world but keeps them contained in a small environment and traps them in a sort of prison-like environment. You can build more about what the world is on the way to New Mecca, etc. and trying to save the characters who are already there, like Jack and Abu and things like that. And you're like, right. And it comes back with the same fucking actors as the voice actors. And you're like, yeah. There's your film, Dark Fury. Make that not a half an hour animated movie, but an entire film and yep. introduce ideas of the Necromongers there and then go into Chronicles of but obviously, they don't want to do that. They want to go straight to the big budget Chronicles of Riddick. And you're like, okay. The other thing about the Lord of the Rings comparison is Aragorn. It's like, well, obviously. And, and I, I, again, I like the idea of this quiet guy off in the world, quite a grim individual who goes off and reluctantly has to take the throne. Heavy is the head, the wears the crown, like my legacy, who, who I am. I've mm-hmm. run from it. That, that's not a bad thing at all, really. But the difference is it's earned in Lord of the Rings. Aragorn is always noble. And he's always the right choice. The difference is he doesn't want it because he doesn't feel worthy of it. And that makes him more compelling at the audience. Like, no, do it. You've got to take up the... You're the best person for the job. Please. You're the heir of a Sildor, for God's uh, sake. Please, fantasy daddy. Reforge the sword, Aragorn. <laughs> yeah. So Boromir could do it. Fuck Boromir. He's your friend and brother by the end. But it's not the right person. What about Denethor? Fuck Denethor. Are you mad? Look at him eat those tomatoes. It's disgusting. Yes, yeah. Put your mouth <laughs> and you fucking chew. Um, but oh, Riddick is oh. like, like, I don't want to be the king of the Necromongers. Like, yeah, but you don't know what you want. And that's the problem. You're, an, in his own words, like an animal from incarceration. It's like, yeah, you've lost all identity of anything other than like, I kill because I'm bored and I survive and I go out and I drink my own piss. Great. Wonderful. Um, you know, and I let no, a scorpion really bite me. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, but what does that mean? It means I'm a danger. It means I'm a harbor. I can't survive in society. It's like, so why are we following you? Why do we care? Because he's a, he is yeah. a survivalist fortune, force of nature. I get that. That's interesting. But in a Mad Max kind of sense of the word, you're not the interesting part of this story. And in, in Mad Max, they do it quite well, where he's the lead, but he's actually kind of not the lead. Obviously, the first Mad Max, less so, but Road Warrior and Thunderdome and Fury Road, he is the observer to the environment and the things going around him are the more interesting things. And he is an asshole who doesn't want to be involved in the world, but he still has a, an element of humanity to him. And one could say Riddick has a similar thing in the first film, and arguably the second, and maybe the third, and the pending possible fourth film. Oh, God. Yeah. Because, again, I think that... I, I do think a fourth film will eventually happen. I, I, I do not doubt it. Tr- Riddick and Tui are trying. Not Riddick. Diesel. Oh, it's the same guy. Equally silly name. <laughs> yeah, same thing. <laughs> Do you reckon Richard B. Riddick was like his backup on his? He's got a big list of like pseudonyms, stage yes. names that he could yeah. have used. Brilliant. So Mark Sinclair can't do that. It's, it's probably some like uh, Screen Actors Guild thing, right? Because you're not allowed to have the same name as another actor as registered on the Screen Actors Guild. <laughs> so 
hence like David Tennant's name is not David Tennant and there's a bunch of people who aren't actually mm. the vast majority yeah. of actors you know is not their real name they'll have a middle name in there or whatever yeah and and go for that sort of thing because there's already a James Smith so you can't be James Smith your middle yeah. name is Daniel so you're Daniel Smith instead it, it dates back to you, um, you go under screen names to twofold things it's one is like this name doesn't sound cool enough to sell me on and the second one my <laughs> name sounds too ethnic um, speaking of Chronicles mm-hmm. of Riddick with uh, Tandaway Newton, um, she, she's wasted in this fucking film. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. This is the thing we should probably be, you know, the last thing to address here is the amount of cast members who are like, fuck me, there's some great people involved in these movies. Um, Keith David Keith is David. in Chronicles of Riddick. <laughs> Keith David, Tandaway Newton. Judy uh, Dench. Yeah, Judy Dench, Tandaway Newton, um, Carl Urban. It's like, these are fucking amazing actors. And it's like, it, Katie Sackhoff mm. has proved herself pretty good in certain places. It's like, great. And fucking... Um, Oh, his name's gone out of my goddamn head, and that's really going to annoy me now. Um, Comfield? No, Comfield is again. He, he's a good example as well, but not the one I'm thinking of. Uh, no, I'm thinking Dave Batista. Dave Batista, who's perfectly ah, yes. utilized Batista, in the Marvel yeah. universe, and just goddamn wasted here. Honestly, there, there's so yeah, much. We've got we've got Groot and Drax just like hanging out, and nope, yeah, nobody nope. cares. No, nope. I would even even things like, for example, Alexa Davalos, who who's the new Jack slash Kira, mm. and and how she was. She's a tricky one because, effectively speaking, everyone's like, "Why don't you get the original actor back, the one who played Jack in the first one, the Australian actor?" And it's like because she couldn't get in the the, the shape they'd need her for that film, so they just recast it. And I'm like, "Oh, some shit," <laughs> and it feels <laughs> yeah. shit. Um, so, so yeah, I, I I think these movies are very problematic for a lot of reasons, um, and. I think there is, like a lot of cult hits, a really, really, really loyal fan base who see all the potential. And the problem is they're all at odds with one another because of how they mm. feel this universe should go. Um, there's people yeah. who say, ground it more, make it more gritty, make it more R-rated, make it more um, survivalist, make it about more about exploring, make it more about... And other people are saying, I want the lore, I want the fantasy, I want the exploration of space and these cultures and I want to know about Riddick's past I want to know about his future, I want to know about his people I want to know about Furia and not Furia and <laughs> all this shit and I love <laughs> the monsters and you're like, cool that's, that's cool, you can have that, but you can't turn around to me and say, this is a good film this is a good series <laughs> this is a cohesive universe, I'm like, no it's a fucking mess <laughs> so we've been talking about Riddick a character notable for his particular sensitivities of the eyes and his lovely goggles. <laughs> and maybe you, too, dear listener, have sensitive eyes. Perhaps you experience digital eye strain from too much blue light exposure from digital screens. I've got good news. Baxter blue glasses are not your average frames. These blue light lenses filter 80% of the highest energy blue light and eliminating 99% of glare. The past year, we've all been glued to our devices more than ever. I know I have certainly, uh, as as my father used to say, got square eyes from the amount that I stare at screens. <laughs> my dad oh, used yeah. to say that as well. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and TVs were square. Yeah. And, uh, you know, occasionally you'll, you'll, you'll occasionally spend a day and you can just feel your eyelids drying up mm-hmm. with all that blue light that's bombarding them. And so this, if you are working in a, in a, a job where you're 
looking at a screen all day and then going home and staring at a screen all day, you may, you may well need Baxter Blue Glasses. Our exposure to digital light has soared and our eyes and our sleep are suffering as a result. Baxter Blue is also a force for good and provides a pair of reading glasses for someone in need for every pair sold. This is eyewear built for our digital age and Baxter Blue is giving our listeners 10% off your next purchase of blue light, sleep or kids glasses. Click the link in our show notes for your exclusive discount. This is the sign you've been waiting for to invest in blue light glasses. We know you will love your Baxters. We know you will feel the difference. So before we get to fixing Riddick, before you, Mr. Matum, get to fixing Riddick, not Chronicles of Riddick, Riddick, let's discuss some Rotten Tomatoes scores for this trilogy, shall we? Oh, this be so interesting. And again, we this, will be talking yeah. about all three of Richard's adventures all the way from 2000, 2004, and 2013. And I think it paints a very interesting picture, personally. So for those of you who are new to the show, you've only just joined us, we know Rotten Tomatoes is not an aggregate score, don't worry. It is the percentage of positive reviews from the registered critics on Rotten Tomatoes. And those positive scores are essentially 6 out of 10, 3 out of 5, 60%, however you want to word it, mm. that is considered positive and anything higher is positive. This is all measured on the patented tomatometer. <laughs> the patented, never wrong, Force. never linking to the wrong review tomatometer. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, with that in mind, let's discuss Pitch Black, shall we? Tim, since you've been delving deep within the lore of the Riddick universe. What is your guess for the Tomatometer score? I think it will have good reviews because there's a uh, Rotten Tomatoes has a combination of both contemporary to the time of release reviews and it has some retrospective ones that occasionally crop up. It does indeed, yes. And I think Pitch Black is a film that accrued a lot of cred as, as DVDs sold and stuff like that. And I think people will look back on it kindly. I think at the time it would have got mixed reviews. There would be people who say, "Oh, it's just a rip off of Alien," sure. slash Aliens. That that is very much the consensus of the negative reviews I've been reading. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna say seventy percent. I'm gonna be generous. Okay. Okay. Bold. Coming in with seventy percent, Matthew. Your counteraction, please. Same sort of principle. I think. There'll be a very, very devoted fan base, but the overall flash of the pan will be like, eh, it's fine, at best. Or, oh, it's not that original, it's not that creative, don't like it. So I think it'd be skewing a lot lower, well, a little lower, shall we say. And I'll say 61%. Interesting, interesting. Move forward now to 2004's The Chronicles of Riddick. Tim, back to you with the weather. It's, it's, a, it's a bad film. And I think people would recognise that <laughs> at the time. So I am going to go for, I'm going to say 25%. 25 from Tim. Matthew? I would have gone for the same thing. Um, okay. Oh. Um, 
Yeah, I think I think Tim's right. I think it would have been a case of like Pitch Black was a cult hit sort of quietly out of nowhere and it would have generated its own fan base. I think major critics might not have bothered with it because it's the classics so like you know as we mentioned with horror films it's like if it exists on a fringe we don't care the same with science fiction low budget science fiction and comedy is like eh we're not going to review it it's not for us it's not for the mainstream it's not going to be watched by anybody it's not going to be read by anybody in terms of reviews whereas Chronicles of Riddick was a big release and it's like do I have to have seen this small movie turns out no it's actually probably better if you haven't. Um, and I think. Oh, well, I wonder what he's going to see with what he's going to do with his <laughs> eyes that he got when he for selling a pack of smokes. Oh, not oh. that. Okay. Yeah. I, I think it would have frustrated and upset a lot of the people who are fans of Pitch Black. I think it would have frustrated people who are like, I just want to go into this big sort of schlocky film. But I think if there would have been enough people to say the production design, the ambition is there, I think that would be a, a thing. So, um, I'll I'll go higher than twenty five and I'll say thirty three percent, please. Thirty three percent for the all Chronicles. depends on how many people in Vin Diesel's D and D group also happen to be film critics. <laughs> You'd be surprised. I, I bet there's at least one of them. That's for sure. Those big Hollywood D and D groups I've seen in Joe Manganiello's D and D basement and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Wrestlers and journalists and baseball players and all kinds of shit. <laughs> So, the film we're fixing, the third in the trilogy, so far, until the fourth one, Riddick from 2013. Tim, any guesses? I think it'll be better than, mm. uh, than, than Chronicles, because I, do, I, I think it is a better film. I know Matt really doesn't care for it. I do not. I think it's a better film. So, but it's also... It's still not great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say 40% Ooh, for okay. So going up from 25 to 40 for you. Just because it is a return to form yeah, in, I get in that. some I get ways. That. I actually it's don't disagree. Similarities of Pitch Black, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's going to be like people who, again, as I said previously, like this feels more like an actual successor to Pitch Black, more of a, a bridge to what Chronicles of Reddit could be. I gave it a lower score than both films because I was very annoyed by it. Is this your worst rated of the three? It is mine, trilogy yeah, in terms, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, but I think the the general critical consensus would have been that you have to remember in twenty thirteen as well. We're getting big, smashy blockbuster stuff in terms of the mainstream. It's it's almost nice as a palate cleanser. It's the have, year after Avengers, by the way. Yeah, like, to have mm, something small yeah. and and contained and. Intimate, for lack of a better word. Uh, yeah, not like balls deep intimate, yeah, the, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, dread. But this is kind of the point. You always have to put yourself in the. If people say like, "Oh well," retrospectively looking back on these things, obviously I feel this film was terrible. Like, yeah, but at the time, there wasn't anything really on this scale, so it could have been received. I think Tim's right; it would been received better. The question is, do I think it was received? It's definitely received better than what I think of my thirty-three percent for Chronicles. If we're I also higher think, or lower, it'd be a very easy game. <laughs> yes, that's very true. I ha I do think, however, there'd be enough of this weird fan base that has grown over literally like fifteen years. Yeah, Vin Diesel's D and D group and all of Tui's mates as well. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna say, Tim, what'd you go for? Forty. I went forty. 40. Yeah. Fifty-two percent. Fifty-two percent. I think so. I think I think it'd be literally like people like go. Oh, this is what exactly what I wanted from Riddick's sequel. Fantastic. And people saying it's a piece of shit and literally bisected down the middle. Even though what it should be is a 10% film. 
10% is bold, Matthew. I don't, it's not good. I, I, I agree. I agree. It's not. It's partly why we're fixing it, mate. It's not a good movie. It's why we're here. But a very interesting result between the two of you for the Rotten Tomato scores. All 90%. <laughs> <laughs> Defying all well, logic. Pitch Black, Matt, you were very, very close. Oh, okay. 60% on the tomatometer for Pitch Black. Yeah, I, I get that. It's a cult hit for a reason. It's not a smash. Mm. Yeah. So there's a point to Matt. Chronicles is an interesting one. You're both really in the ballpark to the point where mm. it's bang in the middle and I can't give any points. Oh, it's 20, wow. It's twen- 29. So 4% from either of you on either side. Shit. <laughs> I thought my odd weird... I think that's the first time that's ever happened, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, we, we've had it very close where we've been either side mm. and like, yeah. oh, Matt's 2% off and, and Jack 3% off and all that kind of stuff. But bang in the middle, 29 between 25 and 33 were your guesses. Yes, weird non-round numbers paid off. <laughs> <laughs> so it so it all sort comes of. down to 2013's Riddick. I think I fucked this. You have not, Matthew. You are closer. It is higher than both of you guessed. What? But not by much. It's 57%. <laughs> it's for 3% lower than Pitch Black. Correct. And that is why I wanted to talk about this. And I said before <laughs> we started recording, oh, the Rotten Tomato scores are very interesting. Thankfully, as is often the case, I mean, I think the audience score is way more in line with how Matthew feels. Okay. And we'll touch on this now because 77% for audience score for Pitch Black. Fair mm-hmm. enough. Yep. I get that. Cool. That makes sense to me. Comes down only a little bit to sixty-five for Chronicles. Bloody hell! That's I would think too that's high. entirely too high. That's the John Firth Clarks of the world. <laughs> yes, and that is my exact thinking. I think this is where our executive producer, who picked this mm. film for us to fix, comes mm. in. I think he likes Chronicles quite a lot and is one of the Chronicles it- defenders. There are people out there who really, really like it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. I don't like understand the big space them. Opera silliness. Yep. And then, again, only dropping by a little bit is Riddick at 56%. There we go. Yeah. So basically almost in so, line with the critical score. <laughs> the, the, full, so the full gamut from 77 to 56 from Pitch Black to Riddick in terms of audience scores. Mm-hmm. I think that like the way they're structured makes way more sense, but the scores for the second and third film are still way too fucking That's high. That's so weird. <clears throat> I also like to pick a little snippet of one of my favorite reviews I found. I found a particularly fantastic like tagline for a pitch black <laughs> review. Brilliant. Um which is from uh IGN, Scott Chitwood at IGN. And <laughs> He does, similar to what you do, Matt, in your um, reviews, it's kind of sure, structured. Sure. And here's the good, here's the bad, here's a highlight, all this kind of stuff. They did good, bad, and ugly back in the day of like, here's, here's what works, here's what doesn't. Uh, his The Good section opens up with all caps, this is the best science fiction film of the new millennium with six exclamation marks. <laughs> well, wow. actually, the millennium is only one and a half months old, and it technically doesn't start until January 2001. But wanted to see if I could get quoted like Harry Knowles in Pitch Black ads as well. So just a gratuitous fucking tagline. 
And would you believe it? That is the tagline that is highlighted on Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> in terms of the positive score. So, Scott Chitwood, mission accomplished. Son. You cheeky bastard. Um, would you like to hear oh, my yeah. summary of the Riddick movie? Because it's anyone I actually reviewed professionally. Mm, yeah, please do. Mm, my summary was... Where, where could people find this, Matthew? Uh, the Red Right Hand, UK. You can hear it. So ah. At the end of every single episode where I promote my own stuff. Um, <laughs> the review is very, very uh, caustic, shall we say. Um, All caps, six exclamation mark. Kind of, yeah. I gave it a one <laughs> out of five. Um, wow. So... Um, but equivalent would be two out of ten because of the fact that the production design is okay. In yeah, places. wow. I'm still saying wow to yeah. that, Matt. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus. The tiny amount of saving grace is really aren't enough to save this monstrously pointless film. Any positive ah. argument made can be immediately superseded with "grow the fuck up." <laughs> <laughs> That's I don't disagree. Matt. I don't disagree. <laughs> I stand by that still. It, it, Again, it is entirely pointless, and it does need to grow the fuck up. So you're yeah. not wrong. Mm. It's the thing whereby I have different or differing opinions as years go on and the reviews would change because that's how your you know your personal circumstance and hindsight works. But I still maintain for a movie, the impression you get the day after, having left the cinema and you know absorbed it, whatever it is, or watched it on TV, whatever it is, and the day after you think to yourself, how am I thinking about this at all? And you're forced to do like an essay or write-up, whatever it needs to be, like a book report. That mm. is the purest reaction to that art. If it sticks with you over 10 years and that's the thing, that's fine. That's all part of it. But the live and die of that movie is that moment. Because when people say, did you see this movie? I did. And then you tell them about it. So for whatever, for whatever positive negative, I'm going to go change back and change all my reviews. In that moment, that's the purest reaction I can give. And that was my furious reaction from not furious. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck that movie. Tim, whatever you're going to do is going to yeah. be a fucking amazing improvement. <laughs> yeah. So let's go, Tim. What's the plan? I'm very interested to see your reactions. I'm a little nervous. Mm. Oh. We'll, we'll see how it eh? goes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you start. <laughs> uh, this is going to be the season where we all hate each other's pitches. <laughs> <laughs> so I have... Stuck with 2013 as oh, my year shit. of release. Okay. Nothing nothing wrong with that in theory. That's fine. That's fine. I've also stuck with David Tui as my director. Because the, the, he the is so tied. Is there. Yeah. He is yeah. so tied to this franchise. I don't think you could as we were saying earlier, like the having to take the circumstances of this of this film's weird creation. Yeah into account like the fact that Vin Diesel owns the rights to the characters <laughs> yeah. and you know they had a limited budget and they he had to mortgage his house and stuff like that like we say we're fixed with Chronicles of Riddick has happened and it did not do well it did not do well <laughs> enough to increase the budget it did not do well enough for them for them to want to make a sequel to it it had to be an independent film I don't think he would make another Riddick film without David Dewey because they are so yeah they're linked fair. so inextricably yeah yeah, yeah. I would get him to change the fucking editor he uses from uh, Riddick yep. because <laughs> I I don't mind the direction of Riddick. I think there's I think it's fine. It's serviceable. It can by, for be, the most be part. dynamic in places. I think there's there's a hint of what was in Pitch Black. I I will give you that too. Yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. Uh the editing is garbage in Riddick. Um uh the fight scenes especially are terribly edited. 
So sticking with Tui, changing editor. I haven't I haven't picked an editor. Matter. Just a, it's someone better. A better one. Yeah. Sticking with 2013, changing the name of the film is no longer just Riddick. Yeah, that was Good. a stupid era of like Rambo, Rocky. And it's like we have these movies already. We're, we're yeah. still in that era, Matthew. There's still all those one fucking name. I know, I know, I know. Yeah. Uh, my film is called Riddick Trust the Dark. Ooh. Okay. So well, I like a little, it. Little yeah. subtitle cool. in there. Feels yeah. like a um early two thousands new metal album. <laughs> I'm okay with it. Which is which is on brand for this franchise. So which, yeah, yes, I'm absolutely not, on so, yeah, I'm not saying that's not, yeah. Yeah. Uh I can't it, one of them ends with a Papa Roach song. I can't remember it's which one. It's the second one. There Getting away with yeah. murder. Yeah. Uh, returning cast as Ricky B. Riddick or oh, Rickles, Doctor Mark Sinclair, <laughs> aka Vin Diesel. It's your boy, Doctor Marcus. Uh, and as Varco, Carl Urban. Cool, nice. Those are the only people coming back. Okay, cool. Okay, they're the two best people in these movies. So. Thumbs up from me. Mm -hmm. True. New cast. As Fortis, we have Colin Salmon. Great choice. Oh, Colin Salmon. Nice. Uh, Who is probably best known either for being uh, the the squad leader in Resident Evil. Mm -hmm. You know, the guy listens with the gif where you see him and all his face like pulls apart off the big laser (laughs) grid. That guy. Yeah, great voice, uh, and great he was actor. also in Arrow for like two seasons or something. Mm. He was, um, which would have been about the time this this film gets made. Uh, yep. Goes on to be in London Has Fallen, Mortal Engines. Was in a was in some of the Pierce Brosnan Bonds uh, back in the day. He would have been a good uh, and Bond. was he was considered as Bond, yeah. and then they were like, mm. "We can't have a black Bond, but we'll stick you in the films anyway." Um, and has recently Bond. been in the Bob Odenkirk does John Wick film. Mm. Nobody, mm. nobody. So, yeah. Yes. It's good. As Amarina, Lynn Collins. Oh. From Sequelizer's favourite, John Carter. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Sequelizer's... Around about the same sort of time, right? Yeah. 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 Sequelizer's unfavourite, X-Men Origins Wolverine. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And an uh, underseen film, I think, uh, 10 Years, uh, which is a fun ensemble piece about high school reunion uh, that I've seen and enjoyed. Uh, and she goes on. She's mostly done TV uh, since 2013. She's in the Manhunt Unabomber series, mm. um, stuff like that. As the Burning One. Cool name. Okay. Sarah Gadon. Or Gadon. I don't know. Gal Gadot. <laughs> I think it is Gadon. Yeah. Mm. She kind of uh, got her break starring in a bunch of David Cronenberg uh, films, yeah, yeah. Uh, more recent ones. Uh, Dangerous Method, Cosmopolis. She was in Bell, the period drama. To to tie it back into the Goosebumps episode, she was in Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yes, yeah, as yeah, a child actor. <laughs> she was in Enemy, the uh, the Denis Villeneuve film. Yes, that would have been about this oh, time. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Goes on to be in Maps to the Stars, A Royal Night, Night Out, where she plays... Oh, yeah. Princess Elizabeth in, in mm, World War Two, yeah. uh, and was in the... Uh, alias Grace TV series also shows up in Canadian sitcom Letterkenny uh, for like one season mm. and is uh, surprisingly funny in that. Mm. 
as Delgado, Matthew Gray Goobler. Matthew Gray Goobler. Yes. Oh, I know that motherfucker. Got his start in Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou, uh, mm. playing the intern who who hangs around after the pirate attack. Yeah. Uh, in stuff like Five Hundred Days of Summer, Life oh, After yeah. Beth, Horse Girl, the recent Alison Brie netflix movie yeah but he's best known for being in 15 seasons of criminal minds yeah he's which, the criminal minds guy who came out five hundred yeah. yeah yeah i'm currently marathoning through because it's just all gone up on disney plus <laughs> um, ah right and it's, now we know it's how a, he's been cast. a guilty pleasure yeah <laughs> as tula trinity fatu aka naomi naomi from, from wwe, WWE. God damn. holy shit these are these are very oh, but in universe casting, I, I get it. This is yeah, yeah, and she she would have been in WWE at the time. She's been around for ages in WWE. Yes, yeah, yeah hasn't she's, done she's great. films or anything. She's not one of these people who's kind of broken out and done films. But mm. yeah, she's incredibly athletic. Famously, is just you know able to like backflip and balance on stuff in crazy amounts. She's incredibly athletic and mm-hmm. really really entertaining to watch. Yep, wanted a, a nice physical performer. Wrestlers. Can be great. Also, a woman of color, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes, as well. Yeah, because uh, yeah, she was. She kind of went a bit viral because she appeared. I can't remember if it was specifically at WrestleMania, one of the big wrestle, wrestle wrestling shows. Mm. She had her natural hair as, as an African American woman. She had her natural mm. hair, which is quite unusual. Most people often have braids or have it, you know, straightened and yeah, all that kind of stuff true. in in wrestling because wrestling is not the most accepting of of industries in terms of yeah. people no. of color and. Uh, other you know, things that are outside of the norm, basically, as it's defined in yeah. the industry. And she went totally viral on Twitter of all these other women of color and people of color coming in like, holy shit, yeah. my daughter got bullied at school for having you mm. know, her natural African hair. Mm. And now she has someone to look up to and she loves wrestling and all this kind of stuff. And it was mm. really, really cool to see. She seems great, really cool. And yeah, awesome stuff, Tim. Mm-hmm. Yep. As Volius... Russell Harvard. What, what a fucking what a fucking riddick name. <laughs> Folius. Folius. Weasley character probably. Um uh yeah. Uh mm. who is best known as playing uh adult HW in There Will Be Blood. Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, that guy. And is also yeah, yeah. in a couple of seasons of Fargo. Mm. Uh playing yes. I think he plays like a heavy or a, an assassin or something. Uh he's a, a deaf yeah. actor. Um and this character would also be deaf. Mm. So interesting. Cool. And then finally, playing two different roles for reasons that will become evident. Sure. Uh, as both Jack and Corian, uh, Terry Notary. Okay, okay. A lot oh, of people, nice. it's, like, it's like anything with the industry. When you say somebody who's, who's very much a mocap person, you go, ah! Oh! People go, who the fuck is that? And it's like, you've seen everything he's been in. <laughs> yes, you have definitely seen performances by this guy, you just may not know his face. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. He has been, uh, he was in Attack the Block, uh, as the creatures. Yeah. Uh, he's been in all three of the uh, the recent Planet of the Apes trilogy, um, yep. doing both mocap for, for various roles and training. Like, he does a lot of teaching people, like, perform, uh, like, yeah, motion and, and kind of uh, mo- mocap and stuff like that uh, but he was also Rocket in those films uh, he was Kong in Kong Skull Island uh, he's a, a Groot's uh, mocap he, actor he is, that, there is the tie to Mr Diesel there as well um, mm. and, and also was the 
one of the children of Thanos, the big beefy child of Thanos, yeah. uh, in in Infinity War and Endgame. Yeah, yeah. that guy, uh, Brian. Yeah, yep. Carl Obsidian. <laughs> Same thing. There we go. Another <laughs> another fucking uh, Riddick style. Very name. much so. Uh, th- this yeah, is a e- solid Ebony cast. Moore, Carl Obsidian. They are Riddick yeah. as fuck names, right? There. Yeah. <laughs> I like this cast, Tim. Uh, again, in Me terms too. of they the fit, in this cast. they fit. The the names, the fit, names are the sounding good. Fit. The cast yeah. is great. There's some diversity in there that is yeah. appreciated as well. I look forward to uncomfortable. How, how often do comments. you get a chance to cast a, a deaf actor? That's really cool. Like I said, mm. having a woman of color in there, that's always cool as well. They need mm-hmm. more representation in in bigger budget movies and stuff. Granted, I know this isn't the biggest budget of the trilogy, no. but yeah, very cool, Tim. Okay, let's get into it. Okay, and see now, what you guys make of I it. I haven't read this. I haven't read a single line of this. I've kept it literally off the page so I know nothing. I can say this much right now. Tim is going to do one of two things, and I want to put this prediction out there, okay? Okay. Oh, no. Here we go. Tim is going to do one of two things. Oh, no. Tim is either going to pick the baton up and make the space opera and make John happy, or two, Tim is not, and it's going to make people angry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to either. <laughs> I can either be wrong. Way, we I win. don't think I'm wrong. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm ready, I'm ready. Five years after the events of the last film, Riddick awakens on a deserted planet. <laughs> oh, shit! <laughs> badly injured and with only a knife in his goggles. No trousers, <laughs> no pants. <laughs> and clothes. He's not Bollock naked, naked Vincent Diesel. <laughs> it's like Jack's Logan pitch. Yep. Tending to his injuries... He fends off a number of local predators, including vulture-style birds, crab-slash-scorpion creatures that inhabit shallow pools, and pack hunters that resemble a cross between hyenas and bears. Barely clinging to life, he evades the various threats until a rocky shelf he is traversing gives way. He falls down into a ravine and drifts into unconsciousness. Okay, okay. Okay, okay. So far, so... Riddick? Ish. Same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As Riddick dreams, we see flashbacks of how he arrived on the planet. Although he accepted the rank of Lord Marshal of the Necromongers, that's such a collection of words, he refused to convert to their faith, leading to dissent among his subjects and numerous assassination attempts. So far, Tim, this is word for word. This is, this is your <laughs> fucking synopsis. <laughs> Did you copy and paste the synopsis by accident? <laughs> <laughs> He ended their first campaign of conquest, instead encouraging Varko and the other high-ranking generals to continue their search for the Underverse, while he enjoyed the benefits of ruling, such as sex and feasting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can we combine the two so I can eat sushi off a naked woman? <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Eventually, Varko returns, having reached the Underverse, and now with abilities like the Lord Marshal in the previous film, which I don't know if we mentioned, he can move fast. It's an ethereal being yeah. that goes forward, and then it, his body sort of follows with it. That's kind of it. Yeah, kind of like Mortal Kombat style, like, kind of like, yeah, fast-moving yeah. things. He defeats Riddick in combat, but tells him that death is too good for scum like him. He has lived his life as a prisoner, and that's how he will die, too. Varko has him transported to the desert. No. Varko has him transported to the deserted planet, traveling with Riddick down to the surface. There he reveals that this is Furia. Not, not, not Furia. Not Furia. <laughs> Actual Furia. He delivers what promised. Hey, what Riddick, once... uh, this is not, not Furia. 
<laughs> Wait, that, that means, means it means it's Fury, right? It's your family, you fucker. Well, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I get, yeah, double neg. This is Fury, Riddick, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, he reveals this is Fury, but what once was Riddick's home is now a deserted ruin. This is Setial for five! Um, <laughs> the Necromongers having obliterated the people shortly after Riddick was born. Oh, okay, okay, I like that tying mm. in. They finished the job that the Lord Marshal started Fair when enough. he killed all the kids, basically. Yeah, that yep. makes sense. In a rage, Riddick attacks Varko, managing to wound him, but Varko hits him with a powerful blow that triggers a landslide, sweeping Riddick away. Varko contemptuously tosses Riddick's knife after him and departs, as in the present, Riddick awakens, grabbing the blade. I imagine some cool transition between like the memory and... The yeah, yeah, I can yeah. see that. I can see that. He tumbles over and then he lifts his head up and oh, it's present yeah. day. And that's all. Yeah, gets the knife. Hearing animal noises, he investigates the ravine and finds a dinosaur-like reptile feasting on the remains of one of the hyena bears. Cursing himself for having gotten so soft and civilized, Riddick takes his knife and attacks the reptile. Despite his injuries and the creature's fierceness, he manages to defeat it. In the aftermath, he discovers a young hyena bear, the child of the one killed by the reptile. It initially attempts to attack him, but when he offers it a piece of the reptile's flesh, it hungrily accepts. Riddick makes his way to the end of the ravine, spying distant ruins to the west. With a determined look, he turns to the east and heads out into the savannah-like wilderness, followed by the curious pup. Three years pass. The pup has grown to full size and has been domesticated by Riddick, who has named it Jack. Okay. After me. After Jack Chambers. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. Yeah. Named it JLW. <laughs> it's, it's awkwardly long when you're trying to call the dog back. JLW! Um, and he's fitted it with a crude collar slash bandana. Oh, so you know those cool. little bandanas that dogs have? Oh, I know. Like, it's very like American. Like dog meat fallout. Yeah. 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 Riddick himself cool. has grown a beard. Ooh. But not the crazy oh. mountain beard like he has in Chronicles. <laughs> Just a respectable <laughs> beard. <laughs> We didn't talk about that mad fucking thing yeah. where Vin Diesel has long hair and a beard. Yeah. When Vin Diesel should never have long hair or a beard. Yeah. In that combination. Like, one or the other, fine. That's I mean, not Vin Diesel. The when it's combined, it's just not Vin Diesel. Between those two movies for him to grow that enormous head of hair and beard just because <laughs> yeah. he's like, meh, I'll do that now. Fuck me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cool. Uh, Just he, a beard is cool as hell, though. Yeah, and settled into a life of hunting and su surviving on the plains of Furia. He and Jack hunt a group of large, flightless birds, taking one down. That night, as they sit by a fire, feasting on the newly caught bird, Riddick notices a ship crash landing in the distance. Riddick and Jack make their way to the crashed ship, keeping a considerable distance and spying on the crew. Riddick recognises the ship as a necromonger design, but is surprised to see a small group of survivors throwing aside their armour and advanced weaponry. Unsure what to think, Riddick withdraws, telling Jack that other people always mean trouble. I can totally imagine Vin Diesel saying that line. Yeah. Just like <laughs> kneeling down next to the dog and being like, people are always trouble. Yeah, totally makes sense. The six surviving necromongers are led by Fortis and include his second-in-command, Amarina, pessimistic marksman Delgado, tough but charismatic Tula, contemplative engineer Volians, <laughs> and traumatised former Lenser Corian. So well, he's I'm one of... In, is huge. 
uh, in in Chronicles of Riddick, they they have these troops who have like these look like old diving helmet things attached yes, to their that's face, right. sniffing people out. Yeah, that can can like see into infrared and stuff like that. Bioshock so he, motherfuckers, like crap. Big yeah, days. he he's basically yeah, one of yeah. a, a person like that who's had like the parts kind of removed, but is still kind of like fucked up from having been transformed into. I that. forgot they fucking cool. existed in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> there's lots of extra like they also have this batshit design bloodhound yeah. people <laughs> yeah there's lots of that kind of shit mm. cool so that that is who terry noto is also doing motion yes for, so right? he's and doing he's doing the motion capture for jack the hyena bear cool dog and this will be this will be him actually in live action but probably with a lot of like makeup and prosthetic makeup and, stuff mm-hmm. cool they discuss their plans to search for Riddick, with Delgado suggesting they should head towards the ruins, but Fortis says that Riddick could be more comfortable out in the wilderness. Riddick continues to trail the survivors as they head out into the savannah. They fight off some of the same predators he faced, including one of the large reptiles, and eventually stumble across one of Riddick's camps, deciding to wait there for him. Under the cover of night, Riddick approaches the group, getting the drop on Fortis, who is standing guard. However, he is surprised when the necromonger drops his weapon and begs Riddick for his help. So sweet-like. <laughs> <laughs> Christ, Matthew. Please don't. Fortis and the rest of the group explain to Riddick that since he has been gone, the necromonger empire has fallen apart. After Varko achieved transcendence by visiting the Underverse, something emerged from the threshold. A being from the Underverse let loose in our reality. It killed Varko, sending the Necromongers into chaos, and then devastated their planets. The group are concerned the being, which they call the Burning One, is punishment for turning away from the original tenets of their faith, and that Riddick was a chance to correct this corruption. They beg for him to return to lead the surviving Necromonger forces, an appeal that Riddick responds to with a dismissive, gravelly chuckle. That, that, again, sounds like Vincent Diesel. Mm. <laughs> Leaving the group, Riddick returns to his isolation. The next day, while he's hunting a large herd of the flightless birds, he notices the group has followed him. And though they are keeping their distance, they seem intent on trailing him. Unfortunately, Corian spooks the herd, resulting in a stampede. Riddick manages to get to safety, but is separated from Jack, who seems in danger of being crushed. Fortis and Amarina manage to save Jack and return him to Riddick who tells them that if they insist on following him, they need to be more careful. Riddick and the group fall into an uneasy understanding as the survivors adjust to life on the savannah. Having abandoned their advanced weaponry, they learn to hunt alongside Riddick using the spears and bows, and Riddick eventually allows them to sleep in his camp. Fortis attempts to keep the group focused on their goal, treating Riddick as a messianic figure. He tells the others they must learn from his lessons, become better disciples, and eventually Riddick will reward their faith and save them from the Burning One. During a hunt, Delgado is killed by a swarm of the vulture creatures, and the Necromongers mark his passing to the Underverse. That night, Amarina explains to Riddick how their faith wasn't always a crusading militaristic force, and the original teachings focused on how, in death, the faithful would pass over into a world that was less chaotic and hostile to life. Riddick replies that he's been all over the universe and there's nowhere that isn't full of chaos and hostility. Amarina also reveals that she and Fortis were not forcibly converted and entered into Necroism, which is the name of their religion. Fuck, that is the name of the religion, fucking hell. (laughs) 
Yeah, uh, entered into it freely, unlike the others. Following the migration of the herds, the group returned closer to the ruins of old Furia. As they hunt together, Fortis pushes Riddick to lead the Necromongers, to defeat the Burning One and become an instrument of death. Riddick grows angry, holding Fortis over a cliff edge and telling him that the Necromongers deserve to die for what they did to Furia and countless other planets across the galaxy. He says that Fortis has lived a life ruled by fear and that he needs to accept that the universe is a harsh place. Riddick pulls him back from the cliff edge and leaves as the broken Fortis looks out towards the remains of the Necromonger's ship. As the sun sets over the plains, Riddick and most of the Necromongers sit around their campfire. Corian and Tula begin to sing an ancient hymn. And as he strokes Jack, Riddick begins... <laughs> Jack Chambers. And that, no, not like that, Jack. And as he strokes Jack, Riddick begins to realise that he has grown... <laughs> Yes, Jack. <laughs> exactly that way. I'm going to give you something, Jack. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Red rocket, Jack. Right, okay. <laughs> As he strokes Jack, Riddick begins to realise that he has grown to enjoy the company of his new group. However, the momentary peace is interrupted by Volius, who has spotted Fortis returning to their ship and activating its emergency beacon. The group tracks Fortis from the shipwreck to the ruins of Old Furia, where he waits in a huge cathedral-like structure. Seeing Riddick and the others, he tells them that he will no longer be ruled by fear. He will die a righteous death, as Necroism teaches, and he will fight to the last, just as Riddick has taught them. Amarina begs Fortis to reconsider, saying that they have found a new life here, but at that moment, the Burning One arrives, vaporising Fortis in a blaze of light. Mm. Oh, damn. Do you have a clear idea of what the Burning One would look like? Is it literally like a being made of light and fire and stuff? Or is it a bit yeah, more it's kind of, or ethereal? Or? It's sort of a bit like Judy Dench's I was about character. To Dench and, yeah. Right, yeah. From from Chronicles. Fire. It's a bit it's a bit evil Galadriel, uh, where she does oh. that thing of like, I'd be a queen, nice. both beautiful and terrible. And then a bit of kind of uh like fire thrown in there as mm. well. Nice. But a very That's kind very of cool. bright white figure. Sauron vision in Hobbit. Yes, yeah. Before well, I can't he's angelic before he turns to the darkness. Yeah, yeah. I've banished the Hobbit from my mind. If, if, if I think of the Hobbit films, all I see is dwarves in barrels singing. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. With all the CGI that comes with I think of the jiggly goblin king like double chin yeah. jowl thing that he has. <laughs> has Goit. bizarre physics-defying... Yeah. The remaining survivors scatter, with Riddick temporarily blinded by the brightness of the Burning One. The ethereal creature corners Riddick, removing his goggles to look into his eyes and telling him that the place beyond is filled with those you have sent, but that he has not transgressed. Jack attacks the Burning One, temporarily distracting it, and Riddick attempts to stab it, but his knife is melted away by the heat of the Burning One's core. Not knowing what to do, he flees into the darkness. Floating through the ruins, it kills Tula and Volius, reanimating their corpses, as well as Fortis's, to hunt for Riddick. Jack comforts the hiding Riddick, who remains blinded, feeling his way through the ruins. It's literally a guide dog. Okay. He tells Jack that he is some <laughs> sorry. He tells Jack that it seems like whenever he gets too comfortable, the universe has a way of screwing him over, and admits that perhaps Amarina had a point about finding a place beyond the pain and chaos. 
Taking Jack's collar, he blindfolds himself to protect his eyes before sending Jack out of the temple. As he moves deeper into the ruins, avoiding the necromonger thralls, he discovers a Furian altar that holds an ancient but still sharp sword which he picks up. Is it in pieces or just one sword and he has to reforge it? <laughs> this this would be a cool designed sword that people would then pay too much for to uh, get replica, replicas no, I was going to say, the replica copies, this yeah. franchise has a lot of actually interesting and cool design blades, except the Necromunga, which is a little bit like a shitty tailbone. You're like, yeah. <laughs> so I, I get that. that, that, that would, I, I'm sold on the idea that the production design would make it go, fuck, that's cool. Elsewhere in the ruin, the Burning One searches for Amarina, who is desperately trying to calm the terrified Corian. As it closes in on them, she attempts to distract it and lead it away, but it's too quick and she is nearly cornered, saved only at the last second by Corian, who sacrifices himself to protect her. Meanwhile, the reanimated necromongers hunt for Riddick, but he evades them before taking them out one by one in the darkness of the ruins. Amarina makes a break for the entrance to the ruins, but the Burning One swoops down on her, pinning her to the ground and telling her that every transgressor will be bleached from existence. Just as it's about to kill her, Riddick drops down from the darkness above, plunging his sword into the Burning One's back. As it screams in pain, Riddick and Amarina flee the ruins, escaping just before the Burning One explodes in a supernova of light. Knocked out by the shockwave, Riddick is awakened by Jack licking his face and cautiously removes his blindfold, looking out to see the sunrise over the Furian Plains. Mm. We all drink lemonade <laughs> at the end. How are ah, things always Furian end? lemonade. <laughs> Very interesting, Tim. Very interesting. Started off like Riddick. Didn't turn out anything like no. Riddick, which, it, which is good. Yeah, it did the exact <laughs> same premise over again. I, I, yeah, I appreciate the 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 ver uh, divergence from the expected. So I have a few questions. Um, Go for it. But I'll I'll preface them all with a statement. Okay. I like this. I think this is good. I think if I'd seen this in the cinema in 2013, I would be less angry than I was at Riddick. <clears throat> I think I'd still have a lot of questions. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but. I understand how this film was. So I mentioned earlier how and why this film was made. You can't just say, "Well, I want to do a big thing where they go." To that. It's like, you can't have that because Chronicles of Riddick didn't do well. It's yeah. it's you could argue like, "Well, actually, maybe in this universe he's managed to convince more buddies." Like, yeah, 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 yeah. This is the confines of what Tim has been given, and I get that. And Vin, Vin Diesel's run a multi-level marketing scheme and has conned a bunch of people out <laughs> of their money that he's going to use to fund. Yeah. His dream project. Yeah. Interestingly, again, I find it interesting, you, as we've mentioned in the past before, previously when we had these sort of combative style, one team against the other, as opposed to one pitch we work on together, there was almost always a team who were going to go, right, fuck all that noise, I'm doing my own thing. And some team was going to go, I'm just going to do a few tweaks here and there to fix what's already here because there's something that's worth saving. And obviously you've gone for that soft fix uh, rather than overhaul. And I think that makes sense because... As I said earlier, the initial premise that as you describe it, you know, the whole, you know, he's on the planet, he's been mm. abandoned, they betrayed him. It's arguably fine. It, may, it makes sense. Mm. It's the execution that's part of the problem. And I like the fact that, you know, Riddick is 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 almost adopted in a messianic way. Messianic, oh, I can't say that word. Messianic way. And, and sort of 
elevated as a savior by these zealots because again they're all religious nutbags so of course they don't say ah oh, but we follow this one oh he's the truly that makes sense i get that that way and also because it's like yeah but you're wrong you know you're crazy right except it comes mm. out to be actually <laughs> true it, you'd still suffer i think from the tonal whiplash of going from pitch black to chronicles Riddick to this i think you're going to get mm. with the same sort of score rotten tomatoes why because people still go <laughs> there'd be still people like saying Mm, I don't want that. People going, oh, that's better than what we had. I, I think that mm. would be, but I don't think that's your fault necessarily. I think it's the inevitability of the reality behind this project and mm. this this uh, IP, basically. Yeah. But my main, I guess, question or more, 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 the thing I would improve, shall we say, the thing I would I would do okay. to, to to sort of turn it in, I would want a little bit more on the necromunga reason for burning off furia or killing everyone furia because i think the idea that this this ancient sword <clears throat> that kills like the burning one for example this this beast that exists in the underworld mm. i think if we could have that teased in a bit more just the idea mm -hmm. like this wasn't just a random selected planet this was a yeah. problem and almost like you know prophecy foretold kind of thing but done better than that you know what i mean mm. and because i think the burning one initially really good setup really good payoff but very very abrupt ending and i think that mm -hmm. doesn't have a problem as such if we're going to have more clues leading to it. i think the problem is that sticking to so much of the the opening riddick pitch where you've got you know the survival stuff and that, again that works for me i think that's actually quite a good setting piece because it's it's cold and mm. it's quiet and it's like isolated yeah i think i think in the riddick film which is it, it, like we kind of we've talked about a lot of the problems with it, mm. but but like it's such a strange beast, like structurally, because it yeah, has yeah. it starts out with him basically by himself, and that's actually it's pretty compelling in certain parts yeah. of it, yeah. like it, because he's a character that works quite well, isolated, castaway with Tom Hanks, yeah, and and interestingly, like to prepare for playing Riddick again. Mm. In in Riddick, Vin Diesel went and lived in the woods for like four months. Of course he did, because he fucking loves this character. That's right. But then, then in Riddick, you then basically don't see the character for like the middle third of the film, yeah. and it focuses yeah. on the Mercs, and like they are not They're interesting not at all. or likable, no. compelling characters. And then, and then the final third, it basically just turns into pitch black again. Yes, and, um, and the characters you brought in feel like they exist in both universes of pitch black and Chronicles of Riddick. That's nice. Yeah. I like that, and it keeps the religious. Because the thing is, what people don't seem to realize about the the first two Riddick films, religion plays a huge part in both of them, and that's really fascinating. Because mm -hmm. you think, really, this movie's about faith and believing yeah. in each other? That doesn't feel right. The third one has none of that crap. And that's really unfortunate because I think that's a driving force of because Riddick is a now that's not true, Matthew. Oh. There's one character who talks about who quotes the Bible oh and then dies. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> God damn. But it's weird because Riddick is 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 the quintessential example of somebody who talks a big talk and is it's like you know I live on uh, the edge, my own. I don't need people. I don't need anyone. It's like who are you turn this to? My friends. What friends? <laughs> I met these people two minutes ago in a bar. They're my friends now. Christ, you must love people. No, no, no. Are you going to fight to protect them? I'd die for these people. Okay, fine. <laughs> and then what, and then what happened to the people? They died. It was terrible. Okay, well, what, what, what happened next? I met these new people in my new family. Fucking hell, man. How are you? A, it's like, it's like, I like, he's like a very needy edge lord. He's like, oh, I don't need anyone. 
and I have a tight knit group of friends everywhere I go, and I'm everybody's buddy because I'm so cool yeah. and edgy. He's like, fuck off. And again, it's like we we're saying, like the idea of him. There's the juxt. I like you sort of address it there. The idea that he's like, I got too soft, too close to the world, too comfortable. Mm. How? Just, just did. And then what to do with the second? The second some people come along, after three years of him being on his own, these are my best friends. <laughs> it's 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 the it's the batman thing of like yeah. oh i'm an edgy i'm an edgy loner it's like and who are these uh six children with you they're my adopted family <laughs> <laughs> i don't need anyone except but these I'm people dark and alone and the butler i spent my entire life with who's basically a dad to me and my great yeah. buddy who's literally an alien who has all the powers have a good life <laughs> like, yeah you do why are you so upset um and it, and it is tricky because you know there could be an argument for yeah that's the point that's the character. The abrasive mm. edge is an illusion. It's the it's the, the survivalism of someone mm. who's been in prison and can't and has difficulty trusting people, but wants to trust people. I think that's the, I think we can you can develop that a bit more. But word count, blah blah blah. Mm. But I genuinely think just teasing a bit more of the necromongers seeing few. I, I literally just in case of like he doesn't know much about his own people, his own history, that kind because of, it's been burned mm. out of existence by this this race. That makes sense, and we know this from like human history it's like i don't know who i am i don't know where i'm from and so because these people came along mm. and killed my people and then just sort of shipped me off somewhere and you're like right it's like and then it turns out that the reason they killed these people because because they were a threat to their core belief their core being that everything they stood for and then over the years the 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 you know the the religion has mm. warped and the idea of zealotry etc so i think there's something definitely there because if it's just a case of he just happens to find a magical sword and the sword happens to be the only thing that can kill the thing. It's fine. It just, I think it needs a bit more just to yeah, tease it in. No, but that's, that's not, that's, that's not entirely me. Fair. Yeah. That's not me like I say shitting on it. Cause I think it's good. And it's still, again, it's still better than Riddick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, a, a certain part of that was me writing it and I was like, well, he can't just stab it to death. He has to find something. It's like, Oh, maybe there could be something left from fury. And then I kind of didn't, put the work in to go no, back no, and no, no, no. that but i, I get it I but get it. you can you could like i think you could because i i, I like the idea like i de i deliberately put in a moment where he's like oh this is the like the ruins of the people that i lost i'm gonna go in the opposite direction out into the yeah, wilderness I like that. because i, like I mm. because yeah. i lost them and i don't i don't care anymore yeah. like they, they, they i found the planet i'm from and everybody's fucking dead so fuck it um so, but I have that moment where they're like, oh, you know, uh, the, the, the necromongers arrive and are like, should we search for him in the ruins? And it's like, no, he's probably out in the wilderness. It'd yeah. be very easy to go like, they go search the ruins and there they find some of the history of like, exactly. oh, look, here's exactly. some stuff. Yes. And, and so it's not necessarily that he gets that information, mm. but they know it and, and perhaps tease that out in their conversations. Yeah, and stuff I think like that's that, all it so. needs to be, just something there to do. Because in a weird way, I was getting similar vibes to this, uh, strangely, to Jack's Wolverine fix of being, you know, this this character out on the uh, his own, redefining himself and 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 actively saying, "I'm going to distance myself from everyone and everything because I don't deserve this and I don't want this." And it's that I kind of think there's a. I'd like to see it addressed a bit more. And again, I'm not blaming you for this, Tim. I think it's more about the nature mm. of... I want to see Riddick evolve from being more than just, I'm going to give you a line of <laughs> dialogue. Yeah. Told you, here's my line of dialogue. Oh, God damn, man. Just just, just grow, you fuck. 
Um, <laughs> Snake Plissken doesn't grow, you grow. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I can see Snake Plissken not giving a shit and burning the whole world down and go, yeah, whatever, fuck it. Being mm. truly nihilistic. I think Riddick is a 14-year-old nihilist. I think he doesn't believe in any of this shit. He desperately wants to belong <laughs> to something. He just can't because he's afraid. And I think just giving us more of that, I think would make this... You know, like the idea of like Pitch Black mm. is this story where you introduce him as a side character. Chronicles of Riddick is we introduce this world that we don't really understand, but here it is. And the third one's like, and now we get the real emotional core. This real, mm. what happens when you aren't, you know, this thing you're looking for, this in a very strange way, if you're looking for, you know, parents who've run out on you or something like that, and you want to go connect to them again, and you're like, either they don't like you or they don't exist or they're not what you thought they would be. In the sort of, in a weird, like Shazam, you know, it's like, Mm-hmm. Oh, I I had pinned a lot of hopes on this being like full of answers and closure, and turns out every yeah. time I've run from people and things, it's made me a worse per- worse person. And, and and like the idea, I with an uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's tricky because I know full well the Necromunga story is limited. I know there's mm-hmm. not lots you can do with it, even if you did have the budget for it, because it's got a limited lifespan, in my opinion, because. If you are literally basing an entire society off, you keep what you kill. Whoever kills me has the crown. Riddick got lucky. I don't yeah. think he won that sort of contest against the Lord Marshal because he was better. I think he ultimately got it because of a technicality. It's like, oh, wait, David Arquette is the new world heavyweight <laughs> champion? That's what this is. This is not to me like he's like, he deserves that and people will hate him for it. And so, of course, he'd be like, that's well, a reference. Kill that it is, yeah. <laughs> There, there, there was a, a video I watched while I was writing this that was like, it was like, uh, like fantasy civilizations that don't make any sense for <laughs> Necromongers. Yeah. And it's, you know, if you if you do want to kind of keep him in that world, like it's the same problem. I, I like I mentioned that like Conan is is yeah, yeah. is a character that that feels like it has a lot of influence on Riddick and like like the King Conan stories always end up with him going like, I'm bored of being king. I'm going to go fuck off yeah. to, to exactly. kill and fuck things, which to is the two things that Conan does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I can feel that with Riddick. I think that's very, except the thing is that while Conan is literally steal and, you know, it's the thing of the gods yeah. and so on and so on and, and by and all that sort of stuff. See them yeah. driven before you and hear the lamentation, hear the lamentation of, the of the women. Yeah. See, that <laughs> makes sense for that character because we've never known anything other difference but Riddick is trying to be both I'm a I'm a killer I'm a, you can't trust me I'm a badass I'll mm. leave you he's, he's the kid in a leather jacket in, in, in high school and you're like mm. do you do you want to come with us to, to get some food and <laughs> go to the cinema um, maybe I will maybe I won't okay well we're going to be here if you want to turn up the school hey, I just happen to be we've here we've got five tickets so we're fine no, yeah, no, 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 yeah no, 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 no. I'm sure I'll sit, I'll sit behind you or something Cool, cool. <laughs> <laughs> he's 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 the protagonist of like a uh, like a US like drama series where he's like crime drama. Where it's like oh, he starts out as this real like anti like you know anti hero yeah. loner, and it's like yeah, but you know by like season five he's gonna be like hugging the extended cast and being like oh, you guys are my real family. Yeah, it's like yeah. Do, do we mean like like Zach played by Ludi Lin in the Power Rangers movie? where he's like not part <laughs> yeah. of the group who doesn't go to school and he's like but, I'm, but I just want to make my mum happy and she's ill and it's like oh god he's he's one of the heart of this group why don't we lean into that and <laughs> again an evolution of character um I could and this is the thing and this is just a bit of a tangent here I'm not going to redo my own thing but I could see the universe working 
as a stripped down thing, but I don't think I would want to see what I would, would do with it, which would be like, you lean into the fact that this is not just a case of this guy you keep what you kill is now in charge of these religious zealots. You lean into the politics and the religion of that. It's like, well, what happens if you have a radical pope? They try and kill and or get rid of that radical fucking pope. <laughs> that, that that aspect, I think, Tim, you've nailed that sort of thing. It's like, he's like, you don't really believe in the tenets of our faith, do you? Nope. <laughs> You're going to try and change it from the inside? Going to try? Nope. You're going to really do much of anything? Nope. <laughs> it's like, well, okay. And I'd like the idea that rather than going to eat and fuck the whole time. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I like the idea that with Carl Urban's character, he's like, this is your fate. Here's Furia. Fuck you. That's good. Rather mm. than, yeah, I'll take yeah. you to Furia. And, make, and, and in, in exchange, I'll make you Lord Marshall. And it's like, okay. Well, they kind of, he wasn't really betrayed by the Necromunda. So that's exactly what happened. Shut him off the ship. Yeah. Exactly. He was just left on a yeah. different, he was, like, he was like, oh, but it's just a different planet. It's like, all right. Yeah. Why would you trust them? <laughs> he's still the king, technically. Yeah. Like, yeah. He's still the Lord Marshal. Yeah, it's like oh, okay. Um, so yeah, there's there's things there. I, I yeah, but uh, yeah, no. Ultimately, I think I think what you've done is is improved it. I think you've refined things. I think it is a little bit. I would uh, I would boost a bit. Um, I think you would exactly. And, and this isn't your fault at all, Tim. But I think you would still get that exact same reaction. Mm. You'd have some people saying this is a return to form. This feels like a good. Form. It takes the lore and the nonsense and really drills it into something interesting, and it makes it. Uh, claustrophobic and paranoid and good brilliant and it doesn't retread the steps of the first one i'll be able to say this isn't what i wanted this is not the big space opera epic mm. it could have been you could have given me court drama intrigue game of thrones shit and you didn't and i don't think you'd win with any of them and i think that genuinely yeah. is the <laughs> fucking poison chalice that you were handed with this movie in my opinion. i was gonna say that is the problem with the franchise isn't it as a whole yeah. that's the uh, as soon as you have that riddick name attached to it as i said earlier i don't think that character works in that setting you know i've tried I've tried to bring keep some of the Necromunk stuff, so I'm not just jettisoning it like the sure because the uh, the third film gets rid of all of that shit as soon as it possibly it, can it and never never touches on it again. It assumes it's like, the, the reason that Chronicles of Riddick didn't work and says, "Well, we'll just bin it all then." Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've tried to to rescue like bits of it. Yeah, but I think there can be things from that setting that that maybe work, but trying to tell that kind of story with that character just just doesn't it's like saying we're going to do the mandalorian uh but we're not going to include the empire or the rebellion and you're like i kind of like <laughs> that but i'm also like the universe implies that these are the most important things i don't think you can just avoid it entirely and it's like the necromongers mm. are meant to be the biggest threat the biggest thing and you're like yeah and what happens they just go away <laughs> it's like yeah what so of course they would still have reach of course you still have and especially as we said with this you know this new fancy weird fake for lack of a better word religion with mm. actual existing earth current religions is like that's a very interesting um crucible of pain um, <laughs> you're gonna get there that that's right you know in um unstoppable force immovable object kind of thing and then just to go and then who gives a shit john's is here I'm like oh god all right and i like you didn't <laughs> tie it back in that way that was good I personally don't like the dog in the film Riddick because it's just an excuse to have Riddick to give someone to talk to that then it gets killed off. I think you utilize the dog character better, which is Agreed. good. Yeah. I I I I think like 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 Jack's film for the Wolverine fix. But I like the idea, much like the opening 10 minutes as we say of, of uh, current Riddick and and obviously your one as well. Strip down a lot of the dialogue and the, the narration and the shite 
and just have almost a, like a silent film. Have this be mm. when you're on your mm. own. Sometimes you do talk. I mean, like Castaway had to have Wilson because you needed to talk to somebody, yeah. <laughs> and Tom Hanks needed to you know riff off something. But Riddick isn't that kind of character. I kind of feel like him just having a silent movie effectively would be very, very interesting. I mean, yeah, obviously, it doesn't talk to the dog every fucking five seconds. You've got you've utilized mm. it quite well. I think there's moments of dialogue that did creep through into the script where it's like, uh, let me find one. Riddick responds to with a dismissive gravelly chuckle and all yes, this kind of stuff. Yes. Like, he still feels like a man of few words in mm. this version. And I think mm. he becomes a bit too normalized in Chronicles where it's just like, oh, it's just a bloke just chatting about it's stuff li- with a bunch of... A little bit too chatty. Religious yeah. age. I do <laughs> hate the whole... Chatty. Like, yeah, exactly. I don't bow before no man. It's like, well, he's not a man, he's a god. His Lord Marshall's better back then. It's like, you got arrested, Riddick. Shut up. You've been arrested yeah, so many yeah. times. You're not a fucking cool, awesome... Ba- and I hate to say this because it's... I don't want to be derogatory of people who've been to prison, but it's always this classic idea. Like It's like a badge of honor for a lot of people. Like, oh, you know what? I did some bird. I've been to prison. I've done time. It's like, cool, cool, cool. I'm sorry you got caught. And it's like, no, no, it makes, yeah. me, it makes me a hard man. It's like, it means you got caught. The best serial killers are the ones you've never heard of. That's anonymity. <laughs> Infamy and, and fame is not for crime. It's always because you got greasy or lazy. And I'm not, again, I'm not like just hissing into the wind with fucking like calling out all people who've been to, had prison service or even saying that the justice system is even accurate. But so you're, you're angering is, all the chronicles of Riddick people and all the been cons and current cons. Yes. Yep. Well, so, I'm, all I'm trying yeah, to say is that right. Riddick as a character it's like when Bond is like, oh, Bond is great. He'll never get captured. He's fucking captured and tortured in every film he's in. <laughs> what are yeah, you talking about? Yeah. He's not like... So I was like, there's this idea of what Riddick is in his head, and he talks like that. He, that's true. And the problem is, the script says, hey, "Yeah, yeah, it is." It's like you've told us it clearly isn't. And he gets arrested mm. in the second film. Yeah, R- Riddick's not the untouchable badass he thinks he is. <laughs> no, his thing is that he's good at escaping from places that requires yeah. you to be caught. Yes, <laughs> yeah, a lot. I mean, and again, being good at that is good. But it, yeah. it, and again, you could even make a whole point. Being better is not being caught. Cool. <laughs> yeah, you could yeah. make a whole case of an argument about the idea of someone saying like the Conan argument. It's like, well, you're great at getting out of trouble, but you get in trouble. And it's like, yeah, because I don't know how to do anything anymore. It's it's almost the incarcerated, yeah. uh, in, uh, almost indoctrination to it all. It's sort mm. of Shawshank Redemption. Just the yeah. idea you're so institutionalized that you're like, I don't know how else to live. I just get caught because yeah. I get, you know, almost like like somebody's like. I'll get myself handed in. I'm bored. I want to escape for a while. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But as I say, very difficult challenge for you, Tim. So I think you did something interesting there. I definitely thought you were going through to the like, the the burning one was some kind of like Christ imagery or something. And I was like, <laughs> I think I'm definitely reading into this. But I was like, because you mentioned like, oh, having the contemporary religions and mm-hmm. obviously you have the imam in the previous film and all this kind of stuff. Like, Oh, and then it it's literally Jesus. <laughs> See, I thought Tim was going to do the same thing as well. I was expecting a pagan wicker man sort of thing and saying the idea mm. that this druidic sort of religion is real. And you're like, oh, wait, really? But obviously that's, you know, me just tying in more fucking lore and bullshit that does not need to be there. I mean, the 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 origin, the impetus for the, for the burning one mm. was basically me thinking like, who's who's the really what's the really hard thing mm. for riddick to fight something can't what see, doesn't yeah. he like yeah. light light it's a good one it's a good one yeah. creature made of light like light bringer lucifer yeah. if you will from the underworld yeah yeah so that so that was kind of part of the the thought process there wait 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 hang on character roaming in the desert for a while tempted by the devil oh 
Oh, Riddick's Jesus. God damn. <laughs> <laughs> You've done a Ridley, He's, Tim. You have done it again, kid. <laughs> Space Conan, Batman, Jesus. Oh, as all characters eventually become. Well, Tim, well done for fixing Riddick. Because, good lord, that film ain't good. <laughs> but I, a tricky I really one. enjoyed this. When we when we get assigned these tricky ones, it is a weird thing of like you mentioned it, Matt, of like whether you do the fuck it bin the lot and just start from scratch and do something completely different or sure. take it, tweak it, fix it and all that kind of stuff. And I think both approaches can work for certain franchises and especially for these particularly tricky ones. Coming in the third film where the second film is kind of the problem of the, of the tonal whiplash that you have in yeah, the franchise yeah. and you're kind of having to deal with that as the man making the third film and all that kind of stuff. I think you did really well. I think exploring the religion side of things is focusing on the necromongers as the zealots and actually I would almost be tempted to have like some, like you said, having the, the messianic figure of like seeing Riddick as this, oh no, he's the true like leader of the faith he just doesn't realize it yet and we need to make him realize he is the chosen one he yeah exactly really focusing on their because like we said third one just fucking basically bins all of that and it's like yeah whatever Mm. but they're so driven by their religion that is like the that's what i think of as their defining feature as a society Mm -hmm. and as a like a conquering empire having that explored and actually having this is a creature from the underverse. You're like, oh fuck, then it's real. Oh my god, something's actually <laughs> like you know this this shit has consequences, kind of thing. That was a really nice way of dealing with it, rather than just fighting more aliens on another planet. I guess. Mm. Yep. There's some nip. There's some Con- nipples. Considerably less interesting aliens than the first <laughs> film. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yep. Yeah, we take the really iconic, like scary aliens from the first one, and then just. Do less scary, less interesting versions of them. Yeah, brilliant. Yep. Thanks, Riddick. But yeah, I really <laughs> like what you explored. I think bringing those themes through helps you find the blend between the two tonalities of the first two films, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Being able to balance those two and not going, you know, he's still off in Fury in the wilderness and all that kind of stuff, and he's the you know the, the loner that you get from Pitch mm. Black balancing that with tying the history of the necromongers to furia and having it be furia and not not furia yeah exactly is <laughs> such an important yeah, that makes it have such yeah. much more weight and significance to him as a character mm-hmm. and even without the wrath of the furians bullshit and him like mm. you know believing he is the chosen one and all this kind of <laughs> stuff mm. i think that gives it much more but yeah much more weight to that as as part of the story. Whereas like, it's random planet six. You're like, brilliant, doesn't matter, don't care. It's like, this is your home world. Yeah. It's <laughs> fucked, everyone's dead. Is a way more interesting a setting. Even if like visually it would look kind of similar because it's a fucking wasteland. Yeah. Having it actually be Fury is a really good twist and yeah. Yeah, I like it a lot. But also visually you still have elements of a society that was there and was wiped out. Mm-hmm. So visually for us as an audience it's just a bu- not just a bunch of caves. It's actually more interesting and engaging yeah, and means more. So yeah. But again, it's the frustration of the, of the limitation of Chronicles of Riddick because this feels like a good bridge. If you did like he defeat this monster, it's like, what the fuck let these things out? What the same thing that killed this planet? What? These necromongers. Well, now I know what they are. I'm mm. going to, you know, go to escalate mm. to this big, you know, revenge quest as it were, mm. rather than just stumbling across yeah. these guys and going, hello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Guess I gotta fuck you up now. I guess so. Exactly. And to kind of cap it all off, I really like how you bring back him using the darkness as his weapon once again. Trust the dark is the appropriate title for this because yeah, I think so. As much as he is battling the the being of light, he is then able to like return to the darkness of the ruins of his people and all this kind of stuff and that thematically ties in quite again quite nicely with pitch black but also bringing through the the furia kind of side of things from what we see in chronicles as well and i think that that ties it all together quite nicely i have one final question tim go for it is this the end i feel like I tim mean... doesn't decide vincent diesel decides but Vincent Diesel decides when Vin says we're done. Uh, or possibly Jonathan Firth-Clark decides. <laughs> yeah. That's true. I think, I think ultimately, if it was received in the same way, I, I would see this probably getting a bit of redemption arc and going, yeah, this could be something. We could, but I, equally, I think you've rounded off nicely enough that I don't think we'd need any more. It's like, mm. and we're done. That would yeah. be fine, personally. But it's, did you have any visions for something you'd want to see next always like no i'm done with this now this whole thing right the fourth one tim write the fourth one right now. <laughs> uh no i didn't i didn't have any planned follow-up i very much wanted to leave it on a place of like yeah no this is kind of like as much as he still has questions and as much as like there are you know he's he's a character who's you know in a lot of ways like you say he's been institutionalized you know he's he's as in he has been mm-hmm. raised inside prisons and stuff like that and so there's part of him that doesn't really function in society because he's on a planet that is dead and and has you know he's got Mm. he's got his hyena bear dog you know (laughs) uh and he's got like a bit of company because he does like Mm. like we say he does latch on to people you know yeah he does yeah and so he still needs that but he's also a character who's like yeah you know in this in if if he was in modern society he'd be like yeah i live on the like isle of man or something and yeah. i live in a cottage that's four miles away from anyone sure. and, but then occasionally i go into town to go to the pub kind of thing yeah um, that makes sense. So, it's, it's the frontier western style thing of like well the sun is setting and uh or rising in this case in the film mm-hmm. and um it's a new day in the frontier Nothing's changed for me, really, because yeah. I'm still stuck mm. here. And I don't really, I know I go down to town to sort of get my supplies and go back up to the woods or whatever. That, yeah, I, I, that makes sense. It's, it's like almost like the Judge Dredd ending of like, he's still a cop. He still has to go do his job. He's still the same guy. It's just the mm. fact that um, he is done with this arc of his story, but he doesn't actually have a trajectory. He's just literally just existing, the Mad Max style, mm. bouncing around the landscape, waiting for something to happen to him, or he gets bored and yeah. gets imprisoned again. So that makes, that yeah. makes sense. There's there's enough stuff there that if if yeah if you want to get for whatever reason you wanted to through. do a fourth film then you know yeah yeah I get it, it I get it. it there's there's room to go but no I, I I didn't I didn't picture this as you know I didn't didn't want to leave it on a cliffhanger and be like ah oh, see you next week on Riddick <laughs> I think it works as a final kind of not not necessarily resting place but the fact that his home world is a desolate wasteland and that's kind of where he feels at home kind of like he did in pitch black all that kind of stuff yeah he thrives being on his own surviving in the wilderness all that kind of stuff and the irony of that being his desolated home planet even though he's never felt like a furian he's always been the loner off in space and stuff sure. the fact that he does actually kind of eventually settle back on his home world is, is a nice little touch and mm. having that as the finale of the trilogy 
we don't need a fourth one, Vincent, if you're listening. <laughs> then yeah, I think that works. Go make well. go make Last Witch Hunter two instead. I'm oh, good again. Yeah, thanks. Oh. I, I'm, I'm, I hate to break it to you, Tim, but that film bombed as well. That's I don't know if you noticed that. I do not care. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. Do a crossover with the really with not. the witch one with the uh, Nicolas Cage. I don't think it'll work at all, but I wanted to see two different... Season of the Last Witch Hunter. There we go. That's the oh, one. Oh, God. And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening. This has been episode three of season eight. You can follow us on social media, you know, sequelizers on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that kind of stuff. Links are in the show notes. As always, go and follow us there. You can follow me directly. I am JLW Chambers. If you want to find out more information about the show, our Discord, our merch shop, all that kind of stuff, you can go to sequelizers.com. It's the hub for all the information, all the podcast platforms, little bios about the three of us. It's delightful. Have have fun. <laughs> Matt, if they want to follow you on social media, how can they do that? Stogs, S-T-O-G-H-Z. You can go to cheesemint.com and see the things that I make. You can go to theredrighthand.co.uk and see the reviews of the films that I watch. Tim, uh, if you were a chosen one, what would be the name of your planet? Would it be Timbly? Uh, it would be Sleepier. <laughs> Sleep <laughs> apnea? No, that's a different thing. <laughs> Narco Lepsy. <laughs> yeah. If you want to talk about your your planet or Riddick Law. I didn't go as deep as I did on Mortal Kombat. I don't I don't have comprehensive knowledge uh on this one. Just because it's <laughs> never not as fucking interesting again. as Mortal Kombat. Balls, no. But yes, if you want to chat with me, uh I'm on Twitter, trivia underscore lad. Uh if I do anything uh worth while uh in terms of writing and stuff like that i'll always post it there so that's a good place to find me uh or on our discord which is a lovely place to hang out it is come and join us on the discord it's delightful there's always post show discussions when it goes up for patrons and then when it goes up again for the public on tuesdays as well so yeah whether you're a patron or a member of the the public come and join us come and check it out discord's a lot of fun there's a whole channel dedicated to just this season. So even if you're catching up, you can catch up on the old season and discuss them as well. It's, it's a lovely it's time. The, the live posting with spoiler tags so you obviously can't see it of the experience. Like, oh, yeah. we just start the episode. Like, and there's so many moments like, wait, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, you can't spoil it for me, so I'm just going to read everything. So that's fine. But I know some people do uh, take that very seriously. Mm-hmm. Well, dear listeners, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of season eight and it's something something completely different shall we say <laughs> to, is to it the adventures Jack? of richard b riddick it's um, exactly it's very different it's so different yeah it couldn't but be more no, different there's no connective tissue i can think of at all <laughs> i thought i tried to think of a segue there is no segue and that is your tease ladies and gentlemen mm-hmm. <laughs> so i'll see you next week thank you very much for listening